Hey, I'm Dustin Wynn. This is Freddie Williams. This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor at DCU. Hi, this is Nadia DeFilippis. And Christina Weir. Hi, this is Kevin Vandell. Hi, this is Lee Bermeo. Hi, this is Brian Ezrelli. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. This is Robert Greenberger. This is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Fertaccio. This is Adam Beechin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 117.5. I'm your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Ed. And this is Rob. And we are bringing you the comic news and comic book reviews from the month of May. This is all of the books that are, well, what we consider the second-tier uh, characters within the Batman universe. And uh, we have a ton of books to cover. You may be thinking, why is this releasing two weeks later than normal? Well, that's because, or one week, I guess, one week later than normal, and that's because there was actually five Wednesdays in the month of May, and that fifth Wednesday released a number of annuals for the Batman universe, two of which we will be covering here on this podcast. This is Summer Gleason, back live at the Gotham State University. The campus bank was the target of a robbery and a malicious arson attempt by the so-called Scarecrow. So as far as uh, news goes, let's uh, only talk about the one thing that that really happened this month, which was the solicitations for August were released. And realistically, the big things that are going to be happening in the books that we cover on this podcast are really nothing. Um, All of the books will continue to happen as we already pretty much knew. Um, There's going to be some new villains popping up in some of the books. Um, We have the entire solicitations for every book releasing from the Batman universe uh, posted up on the website so you can check that out. Um, But the big thing is that... uh, you know, there's just a ridiculous amount of books that are going to be coming out from now until August and probably even more after August. So um, one of the things that uh, we talked about on the other on the normal comic cast that we haven't really discussed here is uh, this rumor that's been floating around about what DC is planning on doing in September And that is, uh, as we know, last year for the one-year anniversary of the New 52, DC did something called Zero Month, where they basically had zero issues for all of the series. And it kind of, like, lent some minute details as to how these uh, characters have come to be within the New 52 and uh, showing some of the distinct differences between the pre-New 52 characters and the New 52 characters. But the current rumor is that this September will be... uh, DC is going to be making September Villain Month. And all of the series will be focusing on specific villains in each of the series that are ongoing. So uh, I was just wondering your guys' thoughts on who you think would pop up in some of the books that we cover here on this cast. Well, it's it's starting to become a reoccurring theme every September now that we're going to do something special, it seems. Um, you know, I don't know, because a lot of our books don't have set-in-stone 
you know, quote unquote villains that would be. I mean, Talon really doesn't. Batwing doesn't really doesn't really have one. Batwoman doesn't have a a huge rogues gallery. Um, I would normally say that you would have Joker possibly pop up in Red Hood and the Outlaws just to, due to his relationship with Jason, but I, I doubt we'd see him back that soon. Um, Birds of Prey? I don't know. I, that, that's that's a good question because I don't. We don't have a typical villain hero relationship in a lot of these books. Yeah, I was. <laughs> As you were reading that, I was thinking the same thing. And, you know, aside from, okay, we've got, you know, Tim Drake with the Teen Titans, but the Titans have yet to really establish their own universe and their own rogues gallery because they've been bebopping around in everybody else's crossover stories. So I, I just don't see anybody coming back. I don't know. I guess it'd be nice to see maybe somebody like a. You know, I don't know. That's, that's that's my intelligent answer. I don't know. I'm trying to come up with something, and there's there's just not. My thoughts on this: if you if if we just stick with what is currently happening in the books, and obviously things are going to change in the coming months. The Birds of Prey, Mister Freeze, could make sense just because he's been playing a pretty big role in the series for the last couple months. Catwoman, it seems as if Penguin's going to be playing a pretty decent role based off uh-huh. of the issue this month and the annual that we'll also be reviewing. So he could be the long-term villain for Catwoman. Uh, Red Hood and the Outlaws is kind of up in the air, but one of the things that I've been thinking about is it could be Hugo Strange because uh, it was not that long ago where we had some mentions of Hugo Strange just randomly popping up in the story. But then in addition, this month with the two books that were released for Red Hood and the Outlaws, he appeared again. And, you know, he could be it. But the other one that is, is a possibility is Deathstroke because he popped up uh, you know, in a brief cameo a couple issues back, that same issue that Hugo Strange was in for the first time, and he popped up. So I could see that happening too, especially with the Red Hood or with Red Hood and the Outlaws all having bounties on their head. It makes sense for Deathstroke to be somehow involved in some way, shape, or form. Teen Titans at this point, I would say Trigon, just because of what's been happening too. Uh, but Batwing, Talon, I don't see, and Batwoman, I don't really see anybody. Batwoman, the only thing I could possibly see at this point would be maybe Alice, just because she's coming back into the forefront of the story. Um, but again, that's that's kind of iffy because at this point, you know, specifically in the issue that we just that we'll we'll be reviewing today is is you know she is she still bad. Uh, she was brought back to life and blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, like, it's kind of up in the air. Now, they could do a complete, uh, you know, turnaround and do something completely off the wall and introduce new villains, which I think for some series would make sense, like Batwing. Batwing doesn't need to have, you know, we really don't need to focus on one of the villains that have already been showcased in some way previously. So they could take that book and use it as an opportunity to you know, reintroduce a villain from, you know, within the New 52. But I think that um, some of these are going to be kind of completely out of left field as far as what they decide to pick. Killer Moth. Yep. There we go. I like that one. All right, so that is all the news. There really wasn't a whole lot of news. Uh, A lot of the news from DC has been focused on Superman because of Man of Steel releasing this month in June, so... The news related to Batman has still been there because there's been some news about um, other aspects outside of the comics um, that have been happening, including um, the upcoming video game Batman Arkham Origins, which has been a pretty big focus for most of the news with Batman. 
But uh, for the most part, there hasn't been a lot of news related to the comics. So if there is news, obviously you can check out the website. But for now, that's all we've got for May. So let's get right into our books. And we have, like I said, a number of books to cover. And the very first book we'll be covering is Talon. Well done, old chum. Talon number eight, written by James Tinian IV, art by Miguel Miguel Sepovolda. The issue starts off at Gotham City Port Authority, where Casey is with her daughter, saying that they're about to get on a bus when the butcher Talon approaches them and says, you're in for a treat because you're not getting away. He insists that uh, Casey's uh, freeze gun is not going to work on him and it'll have little effects, and if she does shoot her freeze gun, he, he will simply smash the skull of Sarah. After she explains, okay, well, what do you want? He says, I want you to take me to Calvin Rose. They get into Sebastian Clark's underground bunker where they find the dead body of Calvin Rose laying on the floor after we remember from the last issue, his neck got snapped by Bane. Um, Then we move to the Gotham Public Library where the Talons are, or where the the Court of Owls is actually discussing the death of uh, Calvin Rose, and they're trying to figure out who actually killed Calvin Rose. And we find out that the Court of Owls isn't as gone as we expected, as they have an entire new Court of Owls um, discussing their current plans and how to take out Sebastian Clark. After the Grandmaster reveals that he has Casey tied up and being tortured by the Butcher Talon. He explains that uh, he wants to know exactly if there's any backup for the data that they destroyed on the Securitas Island because it's cost them billions of dollars. And he wants to know who is working with Sebastian Clark. She has no idea. He slaps her on a couple times. Then we see him come and visit the dead body of Calvin Rose. After he explains that over the last few months he has cost them billions and billions of dollars... And he leaves the room and tells two two people who who uh, he tells two people to begin the process of bringing him back to life. We then see a number of flashbacks of Kelvin's uh, brief history that we've been already revealed to, where he is being revived and he awakes as he is hooked up to a machine that is bringing him back to life. Uh, the Grandmaster explains to him, "We know that you can." Uh, we've brought you back to life. You now have super strength and your wounds will be able to heal by themselves. And he says, why would I want to work for you? And he says, well, it's for, it's simple. I have a couple of good reasons. And he shows him a screen where Sarah is uh, tied onto a board and Casey is being tortured. He then says, if you work for us, uh, we will make sure that they are free. But only if you work for us. Uh, Then he says, I want to know exactly who killed you. Then he explains it was Bane. Um, Then after this, we cut to Santa Prisca, where Bane is telling Sebastian Clark that uh, Calvin Rose was the wrong choice to be working with him and that he has raised up an army to actually take over Gotham and the Batman. We then cut back to beneath the Gotham Library, where the Grandmaster explains that he doesn't want them to kill people he wants uh he wants to find out he calvin rose asks so you want me to kill them and he says no uh there's plenty of traitors in our organization 
um, that we want you to take out first. So the first thing you're going to do is you're going to focus on Mary Turner, who has been working with the Birds of Prey. After Calvin Rose gets into his gear that he is being provided by the Court of Owls, he grabs his blade and approaches Batgirl and Talon on a rooftop in Gotham. The story continues in Birds of Prey number 21. Alright, so Talon number 20. So first off, um, so the first thing I want to talk about is it was just an issue ago that Batman stated to Calvin Rose that he didn't want any Talons working in his city whatsoever. And now, because Calvin Rose decided to not take Batman's warning in one way or the other, he was killed and now is brought back to life by the Court of Owls and in turn is now having to work for the Court of Owls. So the question that I present to you is, what do you think Batman is going to think about this and how much do you think Calvin is actually going to do for the Court of Owls, knowing that they have Casey and Sarah in their custody? I don't think that Batman's going to discriminate between Calvin Rose and any other talent, to be honest with you. Um, at least before, Calvin had the argument of, yeah, I'm just a regular guy, I was trained by the, by, by the court, but I'm not, you know, a quote-unquote resurrected talent, but... Now he's just another one of the guys. I mean, he's brought back from the dead. He's got the same powers, which I suppose is why they did it. Um, and, and I think that, you know, we have, we have some dialogue in this issue where Calvin basically says, you know, this is a lot easier than I thought it was. I think as long as they've got those two hostage, and I'm sure he'll, using his escape artist skill, will find some way to get them out of there. But I think he'll do whatever the court tells him to. I mean, he does not... Calvin's not a particularly strong figure to me. I mean, he's a good escape artist, but... It's just not that strong of a figure to me. So I think he'll do whatever he has to to protect the, the people he cares about. I, I I kind of think the same way, but I also take it that, uh, yeah, he had the warning for Batman, you know, to stay out of the city, blah, blah, blah. So now it's kind of out of, out of his control. He was killed by Bane, brought back, and, you know, Batman can give him the, you know, what for I told you so speech. But I think deep down this is probably going to be his motivation i'm going to quote unquote do what the court asks me to do and then you know uh, rebel against him just kind of like his nature has been but now he's been granted the powers to be able to regenerate and things like that so uh, i agree he's been kind of a weak character but i think this may be the start of him kind of being a stronger character now he just had the luxury of being killed and brought back to life yeah i think that ultimately you know he really doesn't I don't. I I agree with Ed as far as you know. He doesn't really seem like a very strong character. He needs someone to like be behind the scenes leading him, and that's why he teamed with Sebastian Clark in the first place. And now he's you know ultimately with the Court of Owls. The the thing is, yes, he probably will figure out some way to actually uh, save Sarah and Casey from the Court of Owls. But I I really have to wonder you know if he's if he's going to be able to go off on his own and it really just to me it just seems as if they're just trying to figure out a way to tie the court of owls back into it now that he's not with Sebastian Clark and he's not fighting the court of owls well why doesn't he just work for the court of owls and that's really just what it comes down to so the other thing i want to talk about uh is the fact that bane has risen up this army uh to basically help sebastian clark take over gotham and defeat batman and I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on, you know, this random army that Bane has risen up that 
really just by the looks of the art. I mean, it's not really it's not really said in the dialogue or the narration, but just by the looks of the art, it just appears as if they're Joe Schmoes with guns. <laughs> so what's your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, this kind of looks like uh, Bane's ragtag army. You know, um, he, it's looked like he, you know, around Santa Prisca, he grabbed anyone who was, uh, you know, homeless or bored or, and put a gun <laughs> in their hands, and now he's got an army. Um, I don't know where to think this is going. Um, the Bane scenes were probably some of the more interesting ones in the story to me because I think Bane's an interesting character. Um, I assume he's going to take this army and storm Gotham. There's, of course, a logistical issue. It's one thing to get Bane in the city. It's another thing to get his army into the city. Um but I assume he's going to use this as kind of an occupying force for Gotham when he occupies the city. But, uh, yeah, it doesn't look like it's exactly the uh, the world's most highly trained group of, uh, of warriors. That's for sure. No, I I think it's like Captain Kirk beaming down to the uh, a planet, and he's got a bunch of red shirters that, you know, they're all going to get shot or die. And <laughs> you're going to have Bane left. Um I'm trying to remember, looking through some notes here, has it been said in the New 52 if Bane has broke Batman's back? It's I, It has not been specifically stated, but it's still supposed to be in continuity. Okay. I didn't know if this was, you know, Bane's taking on a city, a la that's going to be the villain for uh, Batman and the Zero uh, villain year or whatever. But, uh, yeah, that, that was just my thought. I just was curious about that. So that's all I've got for talent number 20. Overall, I thought that this issue was subpar. Um, you know, I, I mentioned this before. I'm really just tired of the Court of Owls in general, and I really had stated this a couple months back as far as I'd love to be able to see this character, Calvin Rose, be able to be outside of the Court of Owls and not necessarily dealing with the Court of Owls. And now it just seems as if they're slowly starting to... You know, revitalize the Court of Owls even more so within the, birds, the pages of Birds of Prey, which we'll get to in a minute. But then the fact that the two books are going to be crossing over and kind of intertwining because they have the Court of Owls themes inside of them, it's really just getting old. And as, as uh, much as the Court of Owls story was a good story and I thought it was worthwhile, I think that it's still being completely overused, and I'm getting tired of it, and this just reiterated that in my mind. So I'm going to give this two out of five batterings. Yeah, and as much promise as I had for this book last month with The Return of Bane, um, it just it was very disappointing this month to, to see where it went. So I'm going to give it slightly higher mark, but a two and a half out of five batterings. I was just kind of under underwhelmed with the book, the... Uh... The best pages were Bane and best is a loose term, so I'm going to give it one and a half out of five batarangs. All right, so Talon number 20 gets a total of two out of five batarangs. Let's move into our next book, Birds of Prey number 20. This is terrible, Robin. I don't know what I'll do now. You'll get over it, Batman. No, I won't. Oh, chum, I've been... Bitten by the bug. Showbiz? Yes. Yes, it's in my blood now. I want to get back in front of those cameras. I want to see my name in lights. Batman. Headlines in the movie Trade Papers. Big premieres. Academy Awards. I'm afraid I've got it bad, Robin Baby. Bad. Oh. 
the Batman. That show business is never blind, huh? It's a beautiful chance to bake those two pigeons in the penguin pie. Birds of Prey number 20, The Cruelest Cut. Writer Christy Marks, artist Roman Millenier. Uh, this issue opens up right where we left off last time. Starling has been revealed as the traitor and is working with Mr. Freeze the entire time. Batgirl asks Black Canary to buy her some time while she tries to free Strick from the ice that she is encased in. Starling realizes what is going on, and her and Mr. Freeze go on the attack. The owl scientists use this time to escape the room. Batgirl faces off against Starling, and Black Canary and Condor take on Mr. Freeze. Freeze gets Canary and Condor pinned down, and although she could easily take down the ice with her canary cry, she is afraid to do so because of her recent problems controlling it. Fortunately, there is a, near, a nearby backpack that's loaded with thermal grenades, and that seems to do the trick. Uh, the owl scientists at this point contact the Grandmaster and let them know that Strix, uh, the, the renegade talent, is there. Freeze puts a wall up so only he can talk to the owl scientist and wants to know what the missing element is in the regenerative process. They won't talk to him at first, so he kills the first one, and the second one quickly offers up that the element missing is electronium. Sterling is trying to make her escape from the birds at this point, and Canary finally loses it and sends out a scream that traps the team underground. Uh, fortunately, there is another way out. Um, Condor and Black Canary go after Freeze and Starling as Batgirl takes Strick out to the sun so that she can heal. But when she gets to the rooftop, she is greeted by none other than Talon Calvin Rose. Next time, Talon versus Talon. All right, guys, the, uh, the first thing that I kind of wanted to talk about here is that you know, last issue we had Starling unveiled as the traitor, but this time we see the comments that she ordered Freeze not to kill her teammates. Do you think this is going to be a permanent turn to the dark side for Starling, or is there uh, something else going on here and she's going to be back on the team? I honestly think that this is a permanent thing. Uh, I, I honestly, for a while now, have been under the assumption that you know, so it's, whenever it was revealed, whoever the mole was within the Birds of Prey, that they were going to be permanently on the opposite side of the team. As as much as we've been shown within the previous issues how much Starlin is tied to Black Canary, I honestly think that this is what's going to sever it, and that's why Starlin was on the team to begin with, was because this was a character that we were unfamiliar with, and it made no difference if she was on the side of good or bad because nobody really knew who she was. Um, and then the team gets back to kind of, you know, Black Canary and and Batgirl for the, at least the time being. And then Condor and Strixers are also on the team as well. But for the most part, Starling was like the one member from the very beginning that was kind of like, well, who is this person? Why is she here? And we really haven't gotten that much back information on her either leading me to believe that this is going to be a permanent thing and she's going to, at whenever this wraps up, is going to just drop off the face of the earth and no one's going to use her anymore. I, I'm the same way. I, I feel like she's going to be the skitter of this team, started out on it, and then all of a sudden she's just going to, the story's going to wrap up, she's going to be done, and it's probably just going to be a just a footnote in the editorial. So I think this is the beginning of her end. I got a I got a funny feeling that we're gonna get stuck with her for a while. I don't know why. Just maybe because she's got a bird name, but you know, I have a feeling she's gonna be around. So I'm gonna disagree with you guys there, but you're probably right. <laughs> uh, something else we hear: Starling makes a comment, and the theme runs through the entire issue. It's always about you know Mister Freeze and the fact that the owls have perverted Mister Freeze's tech. tech. Uh, two things: one, 
is this that much of a perversion of Freeze's tech? And two, haven't we seen these owls brought back from 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years ago, well before Mr. Freeze was ever around? Yeah, I think the, the explanation behind that is the fact that what what they're trying to do is these these owls they were they were put in their I don't know what you want to call it their stasis form or whatever all those years ago but they never were actually all brought back up until recently during that night of the owls event that happened uh, well at this point two years ago so in my my thing or I guess it was a year ago a year ago that that happened May of last year so I mean like my thing is I think that Mr. Freeze's technology was the thing that allowed them to be able to bring them back to life and not just die off, and that's what they're referring to. But at the same time, it's not explained very well in the story, mostly because they're relying on the fact that you were really paying attention to all the science that was happening during Corvals, which, as I said, happened over a year ago. So, I mean, like... It's not. They really should be explaining a little bit better. Yeah, I believe you just said everything <laughs> that I was thinking of. It's, it, it's the same thing. You, you really have to keep a notebook beside you as you're reading all these books and go, okay, what was the thing I read a year ago, and you know, track that information down about you know the cryostasis and all of that. So I, I don't. Know, I think it's just a, a plot point that's. I, I don't know. It, it works and it doesn't. I think it, it's a convenient point that hey, we've got Mister Freeze and. We're just going from there, so that's about all I have. Yeah, and let's face it, continuity isn't exactly the number one theme uh, running around the DCU right now anyway. Um, just my last point here is that we see this kind of further um, retardation of, of Black Canary's use of her powers uh, to the point now where she's you know only seems to use her Canary Cry when she loses control. She never seems to use it voluntarily anymore. And do you like that kind of turn with the character? Do you find it interesting, or do you wish we could just get uh, her back in control of her powers? I think the reason why that's happening is because they're afraid to make her too uh, too super power like by having that the ability to control her power by putting her with you know somebody who has absolutely no powers like Starling who just uses guns by putting her with Batgirl who has no powers, uh, no superpowers, and putting her with Condor, who has no powers, just uses uh, gadgets, it would make her too powerful compared to them. So I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to dumb down the character in a way where she doesn't have the complete use of her powers so that she doesn't seem out of place with all of these other characters that are around her. Now, that's obviously a little different than previous incarnations of Black Canary, um, personally, I think it's kind of stupid because Black Canary was really always the leader of the Birds of Prey, and part of that was because she was, you know, she had the biggest power set amongst the characters. Um, at the same time, I don't know that it's really like affecting anything other than just convenience, like the fact that they just happen to have this bag of grenades that happens to be on the same side of the wall that they are on so she can use the bag of grenades compared to you know having to use her canary cry i mean like in my mind it's just like i don't really understand how all over all of this time she hasn't figured out how to control it and the fact that backroll makes the comment about oh well you just use your canary cry so anything that you do now won't matter because you're probably already out of juice 
If she can't control it, how much juice does she think... I mean, like, how does she know how much juice she has? That's the thing that was kind of like, what? And, I don't know, it's just... It seems a little too far-fetched, and I think it just comes down to the writers choosing to write the character in a way where she doesn't want to use her powers because of she's was caused by her powers. Yeah, I mean, going clear back, I don't remember which Batgirl issue it was, but where... It may have been one or two where Barbara's talking to Diana about, you know, she's just recently been out of the wheelchair and getting the sparring lessons. And Black Canary even says, you know, you have to learn to control what you have, learn to control what you don't have. And here it's like a total regression. Like, I, I can't control. I, I, I can't use my powers. I'm too afraid. I'm like, a year ago, you were very much in control. You knew exactly what was going on. And now you're, I don't know, it's, that made me mad when I was reading it. It was like, okay, we can't have her scream because the fight will be over in less than a page, so we'll make her afraid. Like you said, we're retarding the character for no purpose other than just story plot rather than she should be the strongest member of the team regardless if everybody else is using guns and batarangs. She should be able to do all that and get through the problem. So it it was a big hurdle that I had to try and sidestep as I was reading. It just kind of made me more mad the longer I was reading the issue. And I guess the biggest thing for me is if you're going to go through the, you know, the process of taking a, cow- a character's power set away from them, then make it have a ramification. Like Dustin said, don't take away a character's power so she can find a bag of grenades on the ground. Yeah. I mean, there's no point. So, I mean, I get it. If you want to tell a story about how her losing her powers affects her relationship to the team, how she fights crime, how she behaves as a superhero, that could be an interesting story to tell. But taking her powers away just so she can find stuff laying on the ground that does the same job as her powers kind of defeats the point. So that's all I got. All right, so Birds of Prey, number 20. I'm going to give a total of two and a half out of five batarangs. I am going to give Birds of Prey, number 22 out of five batarangs. And I will also give Birds of Prey, number 20, two out of five batarangs. All right, so that's going to give Birds of Prey number 20 a total of two out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Catwoman number 20. It's a brazen costume for a cat murderer. Yeah, who are you pretending to be? Catwoman number 20, Escalate. Nosanti writer Sandalva Neves and Santolucio artist uh, Taranga Santolucius Inkers. Which are those? Uh, the issue opens up with the penguin placing jewels on his deceased mother in her crypt while talking to her, asking her if the jewels are too heavy. After Penguin leaves, Catwoman prepares uh, to pick the lock of the crypt to retrieve the jewels, saying that picking, a lock, picking the lock is like a little kiss. Just as uh, she picks the lock, uh, a guard delivers a punch to Catwoman, saying you really didn't think that the penguin was going to leave it unguarded, did you? She notices uh, the man's arms glowing. You can reference that to Catwoman issue 16, but we were not reviewing the book at the time. Uh, So I'm not sure who this is, but we later find out in the story that it is Joe. Uh, He asks, uh, what did you do to me? Uh, My arms are always glowing and I always feel pain. She easily takes him out with a bolo and is off to steal his boss's jewels. And the Iceberg Lounge Cobblepot reacts to Catwoman stealing uh, his jewels and asks Volt if he can make a robot of some sort to kill a feline intruder. In Selena's apartment, Gwen and Selena are discussing uh, uh, discussing about the cameras that she placed in the police department. 
and why uh, Gwen is keeping things from her and asks if she is working with Cobblepot. Gwen says, uh, you need to give the jewels back, Selena, or he will kill you. Uh, later, Catwoman is on the roof with uh, Rattail while he is training some uh, new gangsters and uh, tells Selena that she needs to pick a side or she is not really in the game. She asks about Black's masked loot and if it's real or not. He says, it may not be that hard to find with a shovel. Uh, next, we arrive in Joe's home, and we see he wants out of criminals uh, out of a crim- criminal's life and just be with his family. But whatever is controlling Joel, Joe is using his body and whatever it wants to do with it. And he may have to get rid of the women in Joe's life as he can, it cannot stand the screaming. Uh, another scene changes, and we are at the waterfront where Selena is talking on a cell phone to Darwin about the demon. She cut off her arms, uh, cut off the demon's arms. And it might be following her. Joe, anyone? Darwin refers to Escalate and tells her uh, that it go, the demon goes after whatever you have. Lust, rage, laughter, sorrow, etc. In the bar, Selena walks in. A couple uh, bar patrons hit on Selena and says this is not the time. And she delivers her mighty McFighting style on them. Joe, a.k.a. the demon, is standing outside the window and is controlling the, gar- controlling the onlookers in the bar and jumps through the window. He and Catwoman leave, and the fellow drunkards now have no memory of what happened or what happened to their bar. Joe Escalade says that when he gets angry, he changes and cannot control the demon that is inside him. Uh, Catwoman uh, did this to him in issue 16 of Catwoman. She tells Joe to try to think of happy thoughts, and she will have to. She will try to give him help. Uh, the more that they go on, the angrier Joe gets, and Escalade takes control of the beachgoers and tells them to put rocks in their pockets and walk themselves out to the ocean to drown. Catwoman may think that uh, lethal force may be needed to take care of Escalade. A helicopter appears at... And it also appears that Catwoman has sliced the beast, transforming him back into the human form of Joe. The beachgoers uh, come to and say that Catwoman has murdered this man. Uh, Paramedics show up and take Joe away in the copter. Catwoman asks if she has killed him and will he die. In the Penguin's workshop, he is getting ready to bring an all-out war on Catwoman for what she has done to his town. Up next, gang war with the Penguin continues in Catwoman Annual Number 1 and Catwoman 21. Okay, the first question I have to ask is, (laughs) from an artistic standpoint, did anybody else feel like this entire issue was somebody constantly changing the channels every 30 seconds, and it was hard to follow from jumping from Selena's apartment to the police headquarters to the beach, back to the Penguin's Lair, that I actually read this twice to figure out what the heck was going on? I think that that was the case. I recognized it more so when I was watching the actual Joe character. Um, there was when he first appears in the crypt. He's fighting Selena, and he's you know a normal sized guy. He's you know he's just he's you know he's he's just normal sized. Then uh, <coughs> then he ends up after she beats him and leaves him in the crypt. He turns into some sort of like mushy ball laying on the floor. And he doesn't. There's like there's very little detail, but then on the next page, suddenly when he, uh, I, I was thinking that he when he was he was the one standing in front of uh, Cobblepot, and all of a sudden he looked like he gained a ton of weight. But then I realized later on that that wasn't Joe. That was the guy with the fishnet face or whatever. But his face wasn't the same. 
So, like, there was all these, like, small little errors all over the place with the art. This is one of those books that, where we've said this before, it just absolutely, absolutely takes a huge hurt from the fact that they cannot get a consistent artist on this book. And, you know, the fact that, you know, this is probably, like, this is issue 20, this is probably the 15th artist who's actually done work on this this series is really sad. Well, I mean, this book alone has uh, four artists on it. If you include account uh, inkers and uh, colorists, or not inkers and uh, um, pencilers, there's two pencilers and two inkers all in the same book. And from page to page, it's constantly changing who's drawing it. I think the problem with this book, and and as much as I do find the art kind of offsetting, it would be tough to lay it at their doorstep because I think they're probably not getting a coherent narrative to work with. You know? I mean, the, the change in styles are something that, that, one, you should have one artist in the book. I agree with that. But the change in styles is going to happen when you put two artists, different artists on the same book. But, I mean, they're not the one jumping the action around. That's the writer right. who's doing that. You know, I mean, she, she Ms. Mazzinti, is the one that's kind of creating this almost insane narrative that I actually kind of, and you guys are laughing because I kind of feel like the artists are doing a good job considering what they have to work with, you know? Um, but yeah, I understand what you're saying. I do. And uh, the last point that I want to bring up, this may tie into the other podcast that uh, you've done, is as the Penguins have been popping up in every single book for basically two years now, is this where... Is this what the Penguin was meant for this whole entire time? Was this Catwoman story? Or is this just another, hey, we're going to throw the Penguin in just so we can show that the Penguin has dominance somehow in the DCU? I think what it has to do with is the fact that, besides the fact that the Penguin has to pop up everywhere, and for some odd reason he's like the villain of the New 52 for whatever reason, when it comes to writers choosing a classic villain to write, they keep using the Penguin... I think for Catwoman, Penguin kind of makes sense just for the sheer fact that, like, you know, it was explained, in my opinion, pretty well as far as, you know, well, Penguin wants to make sure that everything is under his control, so he has to take a cut from every sort of crime that's happening, and if you're not giving him a cut of what's happening, he takes you out. It makes sense, and, I, and I'll give Anosenti props on that. It does make sense the reason why they brought him into the story instead of just having Batman have to, you know, you know, pop into Penguin's office and hold him up against the wall and threaten him with something, and then Penguin gives him some information, like we've seen in countless other books in the last couple months, years. I mean, it's been ridiculous how much Penguin's popped up. But in general, I think it makes sense for now. Uh, the fact that they're introducing this gang war into the Catwoman series doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um... You know, the, the bit about Catwoman stealing the jewels from Penguin's mother, that's fine. The fact that Penguin wants revenge on Catwoman because of that, that's fine. The fact that we're getting tied up in this gang war that involves Penguin, but has really nothing to do with Catwoman except for she's going to get involved in it because it's happening in her book, that's kind of out there and kind of stupid. So, I mean, like, for the most part, Penguin does make sense, and I'm not going to say that they, he doesn't... I mean, they, they, she could have obviously done something different instead of using Penguin, but for what they did do, it works. I just am not super thrilled with this upcoming gang war that they're going to do because Catwoman really does not have a place in it. Yeah, um, 
as far as the penguins kind of constant you know he's here all the time he's like your shadow he's always with you you know i i hope this isn't what he was being wrote in two years of continuity for was this because if so someone needs to be fired because <laughs> this is not worth two years of anything for a build-up um but you know in, if there's a gang war in gotham there's no doubt that penguin would be involved in it um i just i'm sick of seeing him and i don't kind of like echoing what dustin said i don't think that of all the places you can put Catwoman in, a gang war is... And I think that's where this bo- this whole title's been just god-awful forever, is because Catwoman's a thief. Have her steal stuff, you know? I mean, gang wars and all this other stuff she gets involved with, it just, it's stupid. It doesn't fit the character, and I don't like it. So, there you go. Yeah. yeah. That's just where I was with it, too. It was just kind of like what you guys were saying. It's like, okay, yeah, she... She stole the jewels, but because she stole the jewels, and they're the Penguin's jewels, and the Penguin wants to have this gang war, whoops, I guess I have to now get involved. It would be totally in Catwoman's personality to say, you know what? Here's your stupid jewels. I'm going to go steal from somebody else, and I'm leaving town. But, uh, that's all. Call Batman. It's a gang war. I mean, (laughs) you know, hand it off to somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. In Gotham City. Sorry, I pissed the Penguin off. Uh, You got some work to do. And she would leave town because that's what she would do uh, later. Yeah. See ya. You know. <laughs> but it's not even it's it's not even just that. It's what what skills is she going to possess in the middle of a gang war? She's gonna you know pull out of her whip and I mean <laughs> like, she's gonna I mean she doesn't <laughs> use guns so that's not gonna work. So I mean like what's the point of her even being involved other than it's an event that or not an event it's 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 a thing that's going to take place and then she just can be there. In the middle of it. It doesn't make any sense. Like, it would make more sense if the gang war was happening, and then in turn she decided to go, you know, rob Penguin blind because he was too concerned with what was going on with the gang war. That would make sense. But, like, the fact that she goes to the Rat Tails and says, oh, wait, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. Did that happen in this one where she says she's going to work with I them? I can't. That's, that's in the next one. That's on the next one. Okay, so I won't. I won't say that. Okay. But like, it just it the, the entire idea doesn't make sense. And we'll talk even more about the gang war in a minute when we do the annual. <laughs> it's just the entire the entire idea of Catwoman being involved in a gang war is just completely stupid and ridiculous. Yeah. All right. So Catwoman number twenty. I'm going to give one and a half out of five batterings. Catwoman number twenty. I'm going to give a total of one out of five batterings. And I will give Catwoman twenty one out of five batterings. All right, so that's going to give Catwoman 20 a total of one out of five batarangs. Let's move into our next book, Catwoman Annual, number one. Who are you? Who's the man behind the bed? Maybe you can help me find the woman behind the cat. No, that's not you. There you are. And the story continues. Catwoman Annual Number One. Uh, the Penguin War starts here. Black Ice. Uh, same writers before. Anosanti, uh, a new art team. Surprise. Uh, Christian Deuce with Aaron LaPorset and John Levesay as artists and inkers. 
Uh, this book is going to be really dense, so we're going to try and get through this the best we can. Uh, one of the rat tails is gunned down uh, and actually caused by an explosion from one of the drones, which we will find out just in a little bit, has blown him up into the air and is hanging like a pair of shoes of sneakers that are marking gang turf. Catwoman arrives too late to save the rat tail and uh, to save him. Rat tail himself shows up and tells Catwoman uh, that someone is after the Badlands protection racket in Gotham. Catwoman says she's got, got a text from someone that is going to be killed and came here to try and help. The two run off as the police show up. Detective Keyes and Alvarez go over the crime scene photos and have a discussion about the Rat Tails gangs and what's going on in the Badlands. Selena's watching from her cameras she installed, and at this point, Detective Bullock walks in and arrives and puts his coat over the viewing lens of her camera, so she's not able to see what is going on. He questions why Catwoman is the lead target in the investigation, and Penguin might be the better place to go. Back in the Penguin's hideout, Volt in the Penguin's Workshop, is making uh, flying bombs, which blew up one of the rat tails uh, just a little bit ago, uh, for the feathery bird, and the drones are set to try and kill Catwoman. A lark also has brought someone in to help the Penguin, assuming uh, that directly looking at the gentleman's eyes might cause a problem, and all he wants is to make sure his family is saved during the fight, a.k.a. the gang war. In the morgue, Harvey Bullock shows the bodies of the war so far to Keyes and Alvarez and says the Penguin kills from afar and is not certain why Catwoman is part of this, regardless that she has been spotted at the scene. Uh, one of the Vicks had black lips and must have eaten something before she had died. Uh, shoes of many, uh, of many of them are missing and may be related to the gang's, gang also. A stiletto has been used to kill them, and Bullock tells the two to find the stiletto and witnesses. Keys and Alvarez begin to question people around the scene that if they have seen or heard anything, homeless people, children even walking their dogs. One girl claims to have heard an ice cream truck. Just then, one appears firing at them. Catwoman on a nearby roof swings into action. Catwoman grabs Detective Keys just before she is shot, but other gang members are not so lucky. Keys... Uh, wants to take Catwoman, Catwoman in for questioning. Catwoman knocks Keyes' gun out of her hands and says, don't bring a cat, <laughs> don't bring a gun to a cat fight, and swings away looking for the penguin. Catwoman stops to see Alice, where she's making a drone to throw off the penguin. Hopefully the bait and switch goes as planned. Alice gives Catwoman a cape and cloak to help that helps that will help her block her heat signature from the drones. At this time, the penguin launches his attack with the drones. As Lark and Volt are telling him, there are still a few kinks that need to be worked out. Catwoman, now on a roof, spots some birds acting funny and wonders if they may be hearing the drones. Catwoman fires Alice's weapon, but it doesn't work. The cape is helping Catwoman, but not by very much, and is being chased down by the drone. A chase ensues between Catwoman and the drone. Catwoman tries Alice's device once again, and this time she is told that she might want to try taking the safety off before she uses it on the drone. Catwoman uses Alice's drone just in time. The drone explodes safely away from Catwoman, but right into Penguin's location. Catwoman goes in to confront the Penguin. She tells them that she ought to shove his family jewels down his throat for pulling a stunt like that. She then sees the ice cream truck and takes a black fudge sickle out and says, What's the matter? Don't you want to eat what's inside this penguin? Just then the henchmen and henchwomen show up along with their weird-eyed googly friend and tell Selina to look into his eyes. Moments later, Catwoman is handcuffed to being led out by the penguin's gang of goons and googly-eyed man. 
with a bag over his face. Catwoman distracts Penguin long enough with some baby eagles and is able to place one underneath the hood of the spooky-eyed gentleman, and one of Penguin's goons takes the hood off and is put into a trance. Catwoman is also... Catwoman... Yeah, excuse me. This is also being used to take down one of the other thugs by making them un- handcuff her before she takes them out. Catwoman tells the Penguin to stay out of her way and is off to make an escape. At police headquarters, Alvarez and Keys speculate that Catwoman might know more than the, what she says, regardless of what Bullock may, Bullock may think. Bullock heads to the mayor's office with the tox reports from the corpses down the morgue, and Penguin is ready to launch his full-scale assault on the Badlands. And Catwoman has chosen her side to work with the Rat Tails. Next, gang war continues in Catwoman 21. So, I guess the continuation of the same questions that we had is what the hell is going on, and um, what did you think, uh, we've kind of touched on a little bit, but what do you think of Alice's portrayal in this with uh, giving uh, Selena some ammunition of some, si- some type and a cloak to be able to elude the Penguin's drones? I'm not sure who this Alice character is. I've I you know maybe I'm just being completely ignorant, but I was thinking that this was a brand new character, and honestly, in my opinion, this was the only thing in the issue that I actually thought was worthwhile was the fact that they introduced this character who seemingly is working as if she's or she's making items as if she's from a complete time period. She's dressed like a completely different time period. She the all of the tools in her shop look like they're from a completely different time period. Even her shop in general looked like it was from a different time period. So it, to me, that was kind of interesting because I've never seen this character before. But at the same point, she was introduced so abruptly and without really any kind of explanation. It was just oh well. By the way, I bet she you know I hope that she's got this thing. Cut to the next page. You know, she's peering in and saying, oh, well, Alice, you know, she works in this and blah, blah, blah. I don't think she's ever seen sunlight. Cut to the next panel where Alice is handing her a gun. It's like, you know, there was 40 pages in this annual that they could have done something with. And instead they decided to do hardly anything with. And to me, it just, that doesn't make really a whole lot of sense as far as like why they didn't explain who this person was instead we're just supposed to understand, oh, by the way, this is some person that Selena, you know, is an ally with who makes gadgets for her. It's like that came out of nowhere. Um, but is it believable? Yeah, I guess to a degree. But at the same point, like I said, it's just I really wish they would have used a little bit of the page count to give some explanation instead of having to do so much of this other stuff that they did. This annual would have been a perfect opportunity if this Alice character is going to become one of the new kind of peripheral characters in Catwoman's universe to maybe do an origin story because she does seem interesting like Dustin said you got the out of time elements uh Selena makes a a, a passing reference to the fact that she sleeps underground maybe in a coffin you know Mm -hmm. um she's on she has like three pages of page count and she is by far the most interesting part of this book annual issue whatever um and I guess this might be me bitching in general about annuals, but I don't like the way this annual is done with the – it's like a .5. It's like it's like, it's like cash – it's a, just like another long issue of Catwoman and not a standalone story. So I really wish they had taken this opportunity to give us some information on Alice since she's the only thing that is really 
interesting in this book. I wish they would have kind of done this like they did the Detective Comics 900 annual, where you would have got like a main story, and then a perspective from Alice, and then another perspective from somebody else, all around the same thing. But I miss the days of annuals where it was its completely own story, where it's like Robot Catwoman from 20, 2025, where it's it's not tied in, and as hard of a read as the normal Catwoman book is, this felt like it was twice as hard, and I found myself constantly scrolling through the pages, like, how many more pages is it? Is there, is there a break to this particular story? No, it's 40 pages of this long, drawn-out thing, and I thought, oh my god, we're not even into the gang war yet, and I am less interested in reading about the gang war just because of this annual. So uh, that's all I, I really had for questions other than just a big, huge question. Why are we, why is she even here during this gang war? But I think we already touched on that. So, Well, and- the, other, the other thing I just really want to quickly bring up, which is, you know, Catwoman is, you know, I, I'm not specifically, re- I'm not keeping up to date with Justice League of America, but they made this big deal about how Catwoman was supposed to be part of the Justice League of America, and you would think that in some way, shape, or form, this book would reference it more than, oh, by the way, the Justice League called. They want to know where you're at. And it's like, oh, oh, that's the end of it. And I can't even remember, honestly, because it's so hard to differentiate between what happened in this book and what happened in Catwoman number 20, because it all seemed like just one ginormous issue that lasted so much longer than I ever wanted it to. But, like, the fact that they just had that small little brief mention, it's just kind of sad. Well, and I don't know how if you guys read Justice League of America, but what, I do. what happened this week, really, they can't intertwine these universes for a while now. No. Do you know what I happened, mean, Dustin, by the way? I have not read it yet, but go ahead. They oh, killed yeah. her. We don't... They killed Catwoman. Oh, they... Right in the head. She's dead. Yeah. And now there's all so... kind of speculation that there, there's, like, uh, the Segalina Kyle we've seen, the Russian version is going to be unveiled as a fake. So essentially, the Catwoman we're reading right now could be just a big, giant, red herring fake. Oh, great. Yeah. I'm glad I spent my money on 20 issues of a fake Catwoman. Um, but uh, kind of off that, um, it, it's... I don't know. I mean, I, annuals were always supposed to be like one big story, and this is just another issue. So that we yeah. have to buy 13 issues a year of Catwoman or Batman or whatever the hell it is. You know? Well, I- it's like going to your comic book shop and getting a poll list, and you say, I want all issues. And the guy behind the counter says, do you want the annuals? And sometimes I used to go, nah, that's not real important. I don't want to read about Robot Robin or Dracula Batman, so uh, I'm going to skip it. But if lately you need that 13th issue or whatever it is, are you going to miss out on the story? And i like, all right, I'll pick up this issue. And I read it and was like, you could have split this into two extra issues. It's... It doesn't scream annual like an annual should. And, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't an annual supposed to come out once every year? Not like, okay, we got a fifth week, so we're doing an annual here, an annual there. But that's... Well, that's that's DC's interpretation of what annuals are ever since the New 52, because they want to make sure that everything is released on time. They're, the, when they are presented with those five-week months, they don't have anything to release, so they turn those months into their annual months, which... You know, in some ways, I think it's fine, but the problem is they should stop calling them annuals because of the fact that they're not releasing them once a year, and that's the thing that's kind of stupid. And like, and and don't get me wrong, I'm not gonna sit here and badmouth every single annual because the Batman annual that came out last May 
that one was that one was fine. There was no issues with that one that yeah. I could say. It was like basically the story of of Mister Freeze and how Mister Free and introducing Mister Freeze into the New Fifty Two. Batman and Robin. I don't have any. Yeah, Batman and Robin. That was that was probably that's still probably the best issue to hold up to what's released in two thousand thirteen so far. And even Detective Comics. I mean, they they did a really good job of. No, not Detective Comics. Because that was to- still Tony Daniel, and that was our crap. Uh, the and and as Rob said earlier, the 900th issue of of, uh, of Detective Comics, which wasn't annual but still was very oversized, it still was in in a way self-contained where you didn't necessarily have to read everything that was going on because if you just picked up that 900th issue, read it by itself, it still worked okay as a story by itself. This, you could not pick up this story and, and, and dive into it and say, oh, I know exactly what's going on in this one issue because it references so many other things. And, like, the thing is, I have I, I have absolutely no problem with them doing the little editor's notes to say, hey, this happened in Catwoman number 16 or, hey, this happened in Catwoman number 5 or whatever. I don't mind that because it's it's nice for readers who are just picking up the book to, like, understand what the heck they're talking about so they can go pull the book and read that book too that's fine but the problem is that it seems that they're trying to do more and more of that and I don't really understand the reason behind it because we have different books they they take two months off in the middle of an ongoing story for example Detective Comics Detective Comics was having uh, a full story that was, was happening with Ogilvy for a long time and then all of a sudden uh, the the Joker storyline comes up where they want all the books to cross over and it like derives from the Ogilvy story only to do to tie in some way to what was happening with the Joker stuff and all the other books and to me that doesn't make any sense and that's happened in a number of other books Uh, last year uh, during Night of the Owls crossover, Birds of Prey, completely out of place for them to have anything to do with the the Night of the Owls crossover, but they dealt with it, and it was took place in the middle of them dealing with everything else that they were dealing with, and kind of sidetracked the story, the current story path that they that they were on. So, like, in some ways, the annuals flowing into what's actually happening with the story is okay, and I, but at the same time, I do think that. Honestly, an annual should be one of those things where it is a standalone story. It should stand by itself. It shouldn't need to have to tie into everything that's happening. The other thing is, annuals used to be specifically dedicated for books that were like the top 25 books that DC produced. Now it seems as if they're just spitting out annuals for everything. Catwoman is not in the top 25 selling books of DC Comics. So why is it getting an annual? Why is... uh, why, why, I mean, in some ways, why is Batgirl getting an annual? Now, if you look at some of the older series like Nightwing and Robin, they had annuals, but it wasn't nearly as frequently as Batman or Detective Comics because those were the top books. So, like, in my mind, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense where they're doing the annuals to begin with, calling them annuals because of the fact that I think the next month that has five months is, I don't know, I think it's, it, it, there's only like two or three months a year that have that have five Wednesdays in the in in a month. So the fact that you only are limited to maybe releasing five annuals per month and then you only have maybe fifteen, that's fifteen annuals you can release a year. 
unless they're going to do an annual for each each book, it doesn't make a lot of sense for them to be doing and spending the time on doing stuff like this. So, just, just so you know, October is the next month with five Wednesdays. Yeah, so that's what we'll have to look forward to. Is October. And, and I agree with Dustin. I don't understand how they kind of pulled these titles out of a hat. I mean, if you look at all the titles of the DC Universe right now, was anybody really going, we, we need some more Catwoman? You know, yeah, I mean, I'm, it's I would have looked at that. Yeah, sorry to me to interrupt. I just would have looked at that as a business standpoint and been like, okay, Catwoman is a very weak-selling book. Let's not waste the paper, the ink. I don't know how the artists get paid, if they get paid per issue or whatever, but knowing that there's a whole new batch of artists on this particular issue, okay, we've got to pay all these guys, we've got to pay the inkers and all that stuff, uh, I totally would have skipped it and told Nasanti, you got you got to fit this story into your normal run. So, Well, not to mention, I guarantee you that if we look at the sales numbers when we record the next episode for this annual, it's going to be extremely... Oh, God. Oh, yeah. And it'll be, it'll, it, would, it was completely worthless. Uh, I was in my comic book sh- uh, shop this uh, past Friday, just going, getting some back issues and stuff, and aside from the Death of the Family variant cover, every single issue of Catwoman is still on the shelves, like, massively stacked. Because it's awful! Talking, yeah, I was talking to the... Uh, comic book uh, owner and I was like, "What are you gonna do with all those?" He's like, "They're gonna go for fifty cents really soon." He's like, "DC is only allowing, or, or uh, not DC Diamond is only allowing us to send back so many from a certain point." He's like, I, "We've got truckloads of these. We just can't, we can't get rid of." So, you know, it's sad too because I have every issue of Catwoman all the way back to the I think it was eighty eight, eighty nine four issue limited series. You know, yep. And I've got yep. every issue since then, and this is just unreadable. So let's give our rankings now. <laughs> yeah. Catwoman annual number one, I'm going to give one out of five batarangs. Catwoman annual number one, I am going to give one out of five batarangs. And I'm going to give the lowest ranking a half of a batarang. Just, uh, I, I hated this issue. Half, right, uh, half so out of Cat- five. So Catwoman annual number one gets a total of one out of five batarangs. Let's move into our next book, Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 20. Gotcha! Would've, if I hadn't seen you slip behind the computer banks three minutes ago. Nah, I got you. How does it feel? It feels awesome! Check me out! I'm Robin, the boy wonder! Are you kidding me? This rocks! Come on, old man, we've got bad guys who need chasing. Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 20, Confessions. Writer, James Tinian IV. Artist, Julius Gopez. Uh, this issue opens up with Jason insisting that he feels great about his memories missing. Uh, Roy is still having some trouble digesting this, so he has shown the memories that Jason wanted to forget. Uh, Roy insists that, that although Jason has gone through some really bad th- things, they're still stronger as a group, and he'd be stronger with his memories. We then get to see the first meeting between Jason and Roy when uh, when Jason was still Robin. Uh, next, it's on to the darkest days of his life, of Jason's after his resurrection, when he totally rejected the code of the bat and was being trained to kill and to be an assassin. Uh, Starfire finally interjects, and she is told that she has no right to say anything because she hides the most in her memories of anyone in the group. A uh, fight begins to break out, and then Jason asks them to stop. He then begs Roy to let him keep his new am- amnesia as he feels that he really does need a fresh start. 
The plea falls on deaf ears, however, and Roy decides to attack the Garter of the Memories. Uh, but then he disappears, and so does the entire world of the All-Cast. And everyone finds himself back in the snow on the side of the mountains in the Himalayas. Uh, Roy takes this opportunity to confront Corey about her lie, that if she would forget him, if he was ever not around her. He begins to feel that everything, including the team, is falling apart. Uh, from the viewpoint, we see that Essence and her mother, Dakara, are watching this scene unfold, and we find out this is all part of Dakara's plans. Essence swears that she will not sit idly by and let the team die. Uh, we then cut to Green Arrow busting in on someone who tells him that there is a $500 million bounty on the uh, each on the head of Roy, Jason, and Corey. Green Arrow looks like he's going to have to get Roy out of trouble again. Next up, Red Hood and the Outlaws Annual, number one. All right, guys. Uh, kind of the first thing I wanted to, to, to talk about here is that Jason seems to have some seriously dark memories from his time after he was resurrected when he was being trained as an assassin. Do we think that maybe he is better off without these memories? I think that the, the problem is that I here, here's the thing. It depends on what his goals are for what he is to become. The problem is that I feel like we've deviated so far from Red Hood and the Outlaws before James Tinian took over. You know, the the last issue that Scott Lobdell did was the issue, well, I believe it was the last issue that he did, which was the one where Jason was basically sitting in, you know, getting his wounds uh, cared for by Bruce and Bruce, and he forgave Bruce, and they, you know, there was like this, this connection between the two of them that 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 you know that the two of them were okay with everything, and they w- were were fine. Then we go to the following month, where we have Red Ho- uh, Batman and Robin, which was Batman and Red Hood, where the two of them just basically say, you know, go screw yourself. I don't want to work with you anymore. You know, not even a month after the whole reconciliation between the two of them, to then Jason going off and saying he wants all these memories wiped from his head, and like it seems, it seems a little too convenient for him just to have all his memories wiped. At the same time, it also makes me feel as if the last twenty issues was a giant waste of time, since all they really focused on was Jason Todd's memories. So. You know, it's it seems like we keep seeing this in multiple books. It's not just Red Hood and the Outlaws. We keep seeing in other books a new writer comes on and they decide they're going to try to rework in some way, shape, or form some of the things that the previous writer had going on in the book to try to fix them to work for them. And I feel as if that's what's happening here in Red Hood and the Outlaws now with James Tinian the fourth writing the series. It just feels as if, you know, he's writing this so that he can, he has a, he has a clean slate and he can do whatever he wants. And really the only thing that was really explored outside of the small little story arc that was star on Starfire's with Starfire's uh, people battling in space was everything about red hood. So, I mean, like to wipe all the memories, is just, it makes me really think why should I keep buying issues if every year and a half they're going to just wipe the slate clean so they can do something completely different? Um, do I do I believe that that uh, Jason Todd's memories being wiped will actually benefit him? It just depends because I mean 
this isn't something that we can really talk about here because there's some there's some stuff that happens in the annual that we'll talk about in a minute um, that that leads me to think that maybe there is a reason why he needs his memories wiped for his future. But um, as it's as it's explained here in this single issue, it really just seems like he's you know he's doing something selfish for himself. And he doesn't care if everyone around him is telling him it's a bad idea. Yeah, this just this reminds me of a, a friend I had in high school that there was something always constantly going on with him. His, his world was crashing down around him and he would, you know, kiss and make up with whoever it was. And then a week or so later it was like, I just I wish I could forget everything. And that made me think of my friend of like, wow, here's the person that just like, I can't do it. I, I can't do this. I, I kissed and made up with, you know, my quote-unquote father we had good and you know now he's got his issues and took me back to the scene where i got the crap kicked out of me i, I want to forget this i thought we were past it you know what i'm gonna forget you too and it's just kind of like i think dc really likes to mess with anybody that's been a robin i'm waiting for them to kind of screw with nightwing you know they've tweaked tim drake and then they've tweaked you know jason todd you know pre-new 52 and then now twice in the new 52 himself that's like he's getting farther and farther less away from the jason todd character we knew and loved but you know i don't know i i guess i can kind of understand why he did it but i don't think that this is going to benefit his character because just much like in real life where somebody wants to forget something and they you know get over it that person always seems to be the one that ends up bringing everything right back upon themselves where you want to go. If you want to forget it, then forget it, but quit reliving it for the rest of us. And I think that's what's going to happen to Jason. It's going to benefit him for a certain time until he says, Oh, screw it. I want my memories back. So, yeah, I think that, you know, the the problem is, is one of the things I really liked after the, New 52 was how we changed the character of Jason Todd from a head-on villain until this kind of redemption storyline. And I kind of agree with what everyone said, is that I really like the idea that we had this reformed Jason Todd. This She'd had his bad days, but this he was a good guy again. Um, yeah. And this kind of... That character's gone now. I mean, this guy doesn't even know his name is Jason. You know? Um... <laughs> So I don't like the fact that, that – and I've always had this problem, something that Dustin brought up. Whenever you want to do this kind of monkeying around with a character, like you want to revi- do a whole new origin or rewrite him from square one, that's totally cool. Make up a new character. You know, um, There's no point in having a character with a name just so you can sell a couple issues. If you want to use a completely different character, come up with a completely different character. So – that's kind of my uh, my thoughts on that. The other big other other, other point of this issue that uh, that Dustin brought up a minute ago, but I'd like you guys to give your thoughts on if you have any, was that we find out that Corey Starfire has been keeping some uh, or has been exaggerating the way her mind works to an extreme point of view, um, to the fact that she's essentially been lying to uh, the other members of the team. What did you guys think about this uh, revelation of Starfire? Did it make any impact on you, and did it change the way you viewed? Her and Roy's relationship at all. I I really liked it. This was uh, the one part where I just studied that picture of uh, Nightwing uh, kind of coming out. Looks like she's you know pushing him back to where 
you know, she does have a connection. And I was, I really wished we could have seen a little bit more of that in the panel. <clears throat> and, you know, I think she's portraying herself as one of those, nope, as soon as you're out of my sight, you know, all of you humans look exactly the same, you know, that she does have intense memories about everyone, that she's holding, you know, something very personal. I forget what Roy said, something like, you know, if I'm gone, you know, is this about Grayson? That, you know, he and uh, it's mentioned the first time that Robin and or Jason Todd, Robin and uh, Roy meet. They says, you know, you were good friends of my predecessor. And then here is, you know, Corey having a personal relationship with uh, Dick Grayson. And that's kind of all brought out on top of Roy. So not only is his team crashing down around him, but his <laughs> girlfriend may still love somebody else so i i kind of liked that was my favorite part out of the whole book that that she does have a memory and it exceeds any memory that jason or roy have yeah my thing is it just she she's clearly hiding something it goes back to the the one issue i can't remember what the issue number was but it was the issue where she first comes across jason todd and Jason Todd finds Dick Grayson's costume inside of her ship and asks her about it, and she kind of just ignores it and snuffs it off. And then later, it's really, we're really led to believe in that same issue that maybe the reason why she's taking Jason Todd in is because, in fact, he reminds her of Dick Grayson, and she clearly in this universe did not you know, did not leave and stop being with Dick Grayson on good terms. So I think that a lot of it has to do with the fact that she just wants everyone to believe a specific thing, and that's that's what it comes down to. So, I mean, in my mind, it you know, whatever. It's it, I mean, it works, but I think it's going to just basically this team is just going to get broken to pieces. Yeah, I um. I kind of like the realization, too, because I always thought the idea that we had a character who couldn't remember people as soon as they left her side was just asking for problems. Um, so I, I like the idea that she's been hiding the whole thing. Um, I, I've always, you know, I, I think her and Roy's relationship might make it through just depending on when Tinian wants to go with it. But I do like that she has a better memory than, you know, three seconds ago. And uh, one last quick point here is the last couple pages we get this... Um, whole idea that Dukura has some kind of grand master plan for the team. Has anybody got an idea where they think this is headed, or do you think it's headed anywhere at all? I honestly think it's headed nowhere. Um, you know, I, I thought the whole idea of eliminating the memories from Jason Todd's head was so that they could stop dealing with the all-cast, and the fact that they're going to continue to deal with it makes even less sense than them eliminating the memories about the all cast to begin with. Because what is the point of you know him not having to think about the all cast, League of Assassins, Talia, his death, the Joker? What's the purpose of th- you know getting rid of all those thoughts if we're going to continue on to the future and he's going to be dealing with those exact same things? And those people are like, oh, what, you don't remember me? Oh, well, here, let me refresh your memory. Let me give you a flashback of how we are involved with each other. And it's just, it's like, why, why? 
I don't want to see 50,000 flashbacks of stuff that Jason Todd would know, but because his memory was conveniently wiped, we have to now be be treated to them every other month. That That's what I'm afraid of out of this. We're going to get the 1960s last week on Red Hood and the Outlaws. That's what somebody's going to say. Oh, you don't remember what we did, Jason? Well, sit down. Let me tell you. So... You can have your memories wiped, and he's going to go right back and go, yeah, my memory's wiped again. I would like to th- think there's a grander scheme involved here, but I I just think we're going to circle the wagons right back around to where we started. So, Yeah, yeah I think you guys are, unfortunately, you're probably right. And I guess my biggest problem with this, this, this issue and this direction comes to the fact that we had, like, like Dustin touched, touched on and Rob touched on, we spent all this time, the past almost two years now, you know, b- making this character whole again. And then we spent all this time making him a bigger part of the Bat Universe again. He's part of the family again. He hangs out at the manor. He's on terms with Alfred and the other Robins. And, we, and then we just yank the carpet out like, fooled you, you know. <laughs> so I just, yeah, I agree. All right, so Red Hood and the Outlaws number 20. I'm going to give a total of two out of five Batarangs. Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 20. I'm going to give a total of three out of five Batarangs. I'm also going to give Red Hood and the Outlaws three out of five Batarangs just for the Nightwing appearance, and I'm a fan of Green Arrow, and i like to see him finally be brought into Red Hood and the Outlaws, so I will give three out of five Batarangs. All right, so that's going to give Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 28, tool of three out of five Batarangs. Let's move into our next book, Red Hood and the Outlaws, annual number one be glad to take your order i am a little hungry of course robin even crime fighters must eat and especially you you're a growing boy and you need your nutrition hamburgers medium rare the issue starts off with somebody being put on a bunch of steaks claiming that uh leading us to believe that this was an assassin leading us to believe that this was an assassin that uh, some other assassins decided to take out so that they could get the bounty on red hood and the outlaws on the other side of the world, Green Arrow flies into uh, the hidden base of Roy Harper, where the outlaws are staying, when his uh, helicopter seemingly gets shot out of the air and he lands on the thing and he's introduced to, to some Roybots. Um, we then see Jason Todd, who is uh, already questioning whether or not he is a good person and he should have his memories back or not by going to a computer and asking for information about the Red Hood. After he sees on the screen that these confirmed kill count related to the Red Hood is 83, he already starts questioning himself. Uh, Shortly, or not shortly, just a little bit away from the computer room is Roy Harper and Starfire laying in bed after what we would assume, based off of their clothes, sprawled all over the place a very... uh, forgetful night as the uh, events in the last book seem to not really matter. We then see Roy having a number of flashbacks to his days in Seattle years ago where he had a psychiatrist who was none other than Hugo Strange and he would talk about how he had problems with Oliver Queen and we are introduced to a number of uh, Roy Harper's history as far as uh, Oliver Queen bringing him into the mix and having him build specific technology for him. <clears throat> we then see, uh, currently, uh, Roy Harper wakes up and sp- finds out that there's a perimeter beach, 
a perimeter breach and he decides he's going to get up. He then starts talking to Starfire as if she's listening, knowing that she's probably asleep, but little does he know that Starfire is actually awake the entire time. Meanwhile, we find we get more of a flashback where we find out that uh, Roy was actually uh, in a pretty rough spot as he was drinking and stealing stuff from ATMs and actually got locked up. Oliver Queen actually saved him from this and brought him into the life of being able to create all his trick arrows for him. Um, we then cut to present time where Green Arrow is taking out the Roybots all over the island. Starfire goes to approach Roy but cannot find him and she comes and all of a sudden the lights go out. Back at uh, where Roy and Green Arrow are, Roy's, uh, I guess his worm robots pin down uh, Green Arrow to the ground and he explains that he's there to help him because there's a $500 million bo bounty on each one of their heads and Roy explains, well, you came to my secret island where we've been secretly living for many months and no one knows where we are and you come here and it smells like a trap. We then come back to Starfire who's trying to find Roy. She's still in the dark so she decides to light her finger even though in the last panel she was glowing leading us to believe that she was already able to see but she lights her finger and someone says it's gasoline and we see a large explosion go off in the middle of the, sh the their base. Roy sees this and says he's taking off. He explains to the worm robots to let him go. Uh, let Green Arrow go. We then cut back where we see Starfire gasping for air because none other, none other than Cheshire actually put gasoline in the room, and because uh, there is because the fire actually blew up all the oxygen, there's not enough oxygen for Starfire, so she passes out. Cheshire then uh, we find out that she's a she she can basically make herself invisible or I guess able for things to be passed through so arrows don't work on her. Roy Harper decides to go after Cheshire as Green Arrow is told to go save Starfire. We then see another flashback of Roy being uh, trying to be a sidekick to Green Arrow and Green Arrow telling him, you're doing, you, you, I'm not going to be responsible for your death, you're not going to do this. We then come back to the present where Roy and Cheshire are fighting. Cheshire explains that, you know, that uh, he's a very strong person and she could have some fun with him. She then uh, uses a potion on him, which knocks him out shortly. Uh, we then see Jason Todd still in the computer room, approached by Green Arrow, and Red Hood punches Green Arrow in the face and says, get your hands off me. Uh, Green Arrow is kind of surprised because he doesn't really know what's going on. Back with Cheshire and Roy, Cheshire steals Roy's hat and decides to run away. Uh, Roy is trying to fight off the effects of the potion that she just took when Green Arrow approaches and tries to, in turn, fight Cheshire as well. Jason Todd also tries to jump into the fight, and Cheshire explains, Oh, well, you spent months training with me. Uh, don't, don't, you, you wanted to be such a big bad killer. It was really cute. Um, Jason, of course, has no idea about this, as we are already reminded that his memories have been wiped yet again. And uh, after Cheshire quickly takes out uh, Green Arrow, she then gives every possible poison and potion that she has on her to Roy, 
leaving Roy unconscious. After Cheshire also takes out uh, Jason Todd, Oliver Queen revives Roy Harper, only to Roy Harper saying, well, you should have saved my friend, you shouldn't have saved me. If, if uh, my friends are affected because of this, I'll never forgive you. Uh, back with Cheshire and Jason Todd, she explains to him that uh, you're, you're still extremely pale, and I'm going to give you another toxin before, in fact, uh, she disappears as uh, Roy and Oliver are standing there, and if we find out that it was actually Starfire who takes her off the island. Uh, she then throws a potion in Starfire's face and then disappears off the face of the earth. Then Jason Todd is back uh, explaining to Roy and Oliver that they're all a bunch of jerks, and they lied to him. He's not a good person. He's killed numerous people and decides he's taking off. Oliver decides he's also going to leave after Roy tells him he's not going to work with him either. Starfire also decides to take off. We then cut back to another flashback where we find out at some point there was a fight between Oliver Queen and Roy Harper as the two of them are shown in a fiery arrow battle. Uh, we then see Starfire approach Roy and uh, Roy basically says, you know, if you don't want to, if you don't want to work with me, that's fine, but, uh, or if you don't want to be with me and, and, and tell me about what's going on in your head, that's fine, but uh, I'm not going to deal with that. Uh, they then see a note that says that Jason Todd is leaving for good, don't come after him. We then see the same helicopter which got blown up earlier back in one piece as Oliver Queen flies away with Jason Todd attached to the bottom of it as where it is revealed that there is more assassins on their way to after the Red Hood and the Outlaws as Bronze Tiger and the League of Assassins are going after the Outlaws. Next, it will be continued in Red Hood and the Outlaws number 21. Okay, so if that synopsis wasn't uh, uh, <laughs> extremely detailed, I don't know how I could have figured out a different way to synopsize that because there was so much stuff that happened even though it was basically just spread out over a large number of pages. So the first thing I want to talk about is the seemingly breakup of Red Hood and the Outlaws. Uh, basically, Jason Todd is going off on his own. Roy doesn't trust Starfire. Starfire, you know, is basically in her own world and, you know, I guess just is going to be looking for someone else, someone new to sleep with since Roy's not going to sleep with her anymore. And the fact that uh, Oliver Queen is trying to help all of them, but in general, they have all basically said, uh, we don't want your help, get out of here, and he's taken off. So the question is, what do you think about the future of the Outlaws as basically after this annual, it seems as if none of them are going to be working together? I, th I think that from a, from a story's viewpoint, it's it's kind of interesting to see the breakup here. I don't think that there's any doubt that the band is going to get back together in an issue or two. Um, but I could see if, if they if they decide to change it up a little bit. I mean, you do have the issues that Starfire has been lying to all of them since the beginning of the book. Jason's not the same guy he was because he's has no memories. He's just a totally different guy now. And, you know, Roy's kind of Roy. Um, I don't know. I... I I could see them not getting back together, um, but but I think they will. Now I do think that that Cheshire um, is adds something cool to the team as a possible team member down the line. I think that's maybe where they're going to go with this. 
That's what I was thinking, too, that Cheshire will play into it. And getting that little revelation that Starfire does, you know, in fact, have a very good memory. The fanboy in me would like to think that since the band is broken up, maybe she might head to Chicago to get help (laughs) uh, from Nightwing or something like that. I I would like to see her have, you know, we've got a little bit of Roy's history finally after two years in Red Hood and the Outlaws. It'd be nice to see something other than her space war with her sister to, since the Teen Titans really didn't exist with Starfire and, you know, Cyborg and all that, it'd be nice to see what her connection is to Nightwing and if he is the instrument that doesn't help put Red Hood and the Outlaws back together. But yeah, that's just that's just probably wishful thinking on my part. My thought was basically they're going to they're going to get back together as you both had said, but I think that this is like the growing pains. This is actually what's going to actually cause the group to actually become larger because Jason's probably going to seek out somebody else and each one of them is probably going to seek out someone else to like find comfort in one way or the other. Although I doubt Starfire will go to Dick Grayson. But I think that ultimately what it's going to come to is the fact that they're all going to seek out somebody and then the people that they seek out might actually become, end up becoming, you know, team members within their team. The problem is that this team could get a little too big if that happened. Like maybe, maybe bring in one or two more characters, but if they bring in three more characters, this team's going to be a little bit too big and it's going to start beyond the same lines as Teen Titans and Justice League and Justice League of America. And I don't think that this team would work very well if they had six members. Um, So the next thing I, I, well, really the only other thing I wanted to talk about was Green Arrow's involvement in the issue. It's, It's obviously a little bit more than the last issue that we just reviewed, but what did you think about the actual incorporation of Green Arrow? Clearly the issue was dealing a lot more with Roy's side of history and things like that, and that's part of the reason why they Obviously, they had Green Arrow in the issue as well. But the fact that Green Arrow shows up to help them, and they basically tell him, go screw yourself. So what was your thoughts on Green Arrow's involvement in this issue? I um, I liked having Ollie of Green Arrow in, 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 the, um, in the issue, and I think it was fun to see their interaction. In a lot of ways, this kind of mirrored the issue where Superman showed up on their little secret island. You know, um, it's obvious that they don't want any of the other quote unquote heavy hitters of the DCU around them. They don't want Superman there. They don't want Green Arrow there. Uh, this is a group of people that really thinks it can take care of itself. And it's it's becoming more and more obvious that they can't, you know, um, that, that they cause a lot of trouble when, when they're left to their own devices. Um, but I thought it was nice having Ollie there. I think that it just it really helped flesh out Roy, who is the character that we just. You know, we know he was a drunk. We know he was an AA. We know all that, but we haven't had a lot of a lot of specific backstory about him. And I, I kind of liked how this issue Green Arrow served two purposes. He kind of helped flesh out Roy's backstory, and he gave Jason a way to get off the island and away from him at the end. So I I liked him, but I'm a Green Arrow fan uh, a little bit. So it was fun to see him in this issue. I was more intrigued by what Green Arrow was going to say it's like he was getting ready to tap jason on the shoulder and say hey bam he gets you know bitch slapped by uh 
by Jason. So I, I was wondering if he wasn't saying, getting ready to say, hey, do you do you want to come with me? Do you want to get off the island or or whatever it was? So as much as I loved having Green Arrow there for, you know, Roy's narrative, um, I was really kind of intrigued what he was wanting to do with Jason to begin with. So that's that. I, I, it's not really a secret that uh, outside of Batman, Green Arrow is the only other comic series uh, that I actually collect and I have you know, I have collected for quite some time, but at the same point, uh, I think that obviously he was brought in to actually be used as a device for Roy in this issue, but I think it's about time because honestly, the fact that they keep referencing the fact that the two of them have had problems and they've never really addressed it or really dealt with it or explained what the problems were, it was kind of a, it was a relief, but at the same point, if you look at just the the number of flashbacks that happened, clearly, as we already know, this Green Arrow in this New 52 world is much different than the Green Arrow that we know from before the New 52, um, just based off of the history between himself and Roy Harper. So um, that was the only thing that was kind of like a little bit concerning to me is the fact that they've changed these characters so much. Um, because even though I've been reading Green Arrow, it's... You know, you only get so much from that series too. So that's my thoughts. So Red Hood and the Outlaws Annual Number One. I'm going to give a total of two out of five batarangs. Uh, Red Hood and the Outlaws Annual Number One. I'm going to give a total of three and a half out of five batarangs. And I'm going to give Red Hood and the Outlaws Annual Number One three out of five batarangs. All right. So that's going to give Red Hood and the Outlaws. Annual number one, a total of three out of five batarangs. Let's move into our next book, Teen Titans number 20. Ah! 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 Oh, since when is Robin into mime? Slade! <gasps> what are you doing here? You're supposed to be finding the generators. I don't think there are any generators, man. We looked everywhere. Slade must be cloaking them, just like he's cloaking himself. That's why you couldn't see him. But if I could not see him, why could you? What are you trying to say? Robin, are you sure you really saw Slade? Saw him? I fought him! You think I did this to myself? Dude, this is the only way out, and we are standing here the whole time. No one got past us. No one was in here but us. I don't have time for this. I have to find those generators. There are no generators. There is no Slade. I know what I saw! I have to stop him. I'm the only one who can. And I'll take down anyone who gets in my way. Teen Titans number 20, Red Robin Reborn, story title only forgotten. Lobdell writer Eddie Barrows and Zurich as the pencilers. Uh, Ferris and Zercher, if I'm saying that right, as the Inkers. Uh, We last left off of the Titans. Uh, Simon has just killed many armed guards that were trying to stop Trigon and turn to stop Simon himself. In the aftermath of this, Solstice can't believe the carnage that lay before them. Enraged by this, she sets off to attack Simon uh, for the needless deaths. But before Simon can utter his catchphrase, drop dead, Kid Flash zooms in and knocks Simon out. The Titans question Raven as to where her father, Trigon, is and what he is planning. Raven says she has no idea what he is planning to do. 
Trigon, back in the Underrealms, looking into a reflective pool of blood that he is able to see because he has one of his sons hanging above the pool, bleeding into it. Uh, much uh, must be some kind of power in that blood. He sees and hears uh, Raven and the rest of the Titans talking about him. Trigon tells his three sons about Raven uh, conquering the oh, worlds and the realms. Uh, talks about Raven and... Uh, him conquering the worlds and realms and was bored with his uh, power. So he set out to have the one thing that he was never able to obtain, a daughter. Unlike his sons, he allowed Raven's mother to live so Raven could learn from her mother creation and love. But her mother hid Raven, Raven from him. The elders of Azeroth helped uh, expunge her rage and Raven learned knowledge is and Raven learned that knowledge is power. And Trigon would come after her and hurt her mother and the elders, so she fled to Earth. It wasn't until the Phantom Stranger's presence that Trigon was able to find Raven again. Now with Raven by his side, they set out to conquer conquer worlds together. All the while, Raven, Raven was missing something. Allies. She knew that one day she would rule Earth. If the Titans wouldn't help her, she would destroy them. Uh, one of the brothers seems jealous of this and thinks his father is weak and attacks him. Trigon then sends his son flying back into the wall, and the other brother saying that he's alone in his thoughts. He then tells his father he is sorry, and his will will be done. The three brothers vanish, and Trigon stands looking at the reflective pool of blood at his daughter, Raven. Back on Earth, Red Robin and Wonder Girl continue uh, to question Raven about what just took place, while the other Titans attend to each other and start cleaning up. Beast Boy is being attended by Bunker and asks if they were the ones that rescued him from Harvest. Uh, Raven gets ready to attack Wonder Girl because of her constant badgering, just as Wonder Girl knocks Raven to the ground. Raven says she has no idea why she reacted this way. Bunker points out maybe it's because of them. The Brothers Trigon appear. Next issue, Teen Titans Bather Battle the Brothers Trigon. Okay, the uh, first is not really a question, but uh, I haven't noticed this before. Did you notice the ads on the first splash page for Man of Steel and the New 52 in the city. <laughs> uh, I thought that was kind of funny that even in their own book, they're like, hey, there's a Superman movie coming out. And uh, read the New 52. I thought that was funny. But uh, my uh, first real question is, what is Raven's plan? And is she for, against, for or against her father? I think that she has her own motives. I think that she, you know she's going, she's going to rule Earth because that's what her father wants to do, but I don't think that... I think, as it's explained, she doesn't want to do it alone. She wants to do it with somebody, um, whether that's a specific person or a group. I, it's not really made clear yet, but it seems as if there's a specific purpose for what she's doing, but it's basically she wants to be able to do... She wants to rule Earth her way and not her father's way. You can already see that there's, you know, a little bit of rebellion with the fact that she's doing what she's doing right now, um, to kind of like out of spite for her father. So I mean, it, that makes sense. Um, the the one question, and I don't know if you're going to bring this up, but the one question I didn't really understand is the cover said Red Robin. Re yeah, I've, I've got that coming up. <laughs> okay, I'll save it then. Uh, I don't know. I mean. I think we're, we're supposedly kind of wonder. I think the way that that she speaks, where she says, you know, I was always going to rule Earth, and that she's still kind of on the uh, I'm going to rule stuff trip, kind of puts her in the um, may need some moral, uh, you know, work on her morals a little bit. 
Um, but I'm going to have to say that, that I think she's on the side of herself. I don't think she's on Trigon's side. I don't think she's on the Titan's side. I think she's on the side of what's best for Raven. Um, so I don't think she she wants to see her dad take over the planet, but I don't think she really cares if the Titans win. Yeah, I had read a, an article about with Scott Lobdell, I think a month or so ago maybe now, where he was saying that the Raven isn't necessarily maybe going to be an evil person or a good person or be part of the Teen Titans like we once thought, but I I, I agree with you that, that Raven's going to be out for herself and, you know, maybe I don't want to rule Earth. I don't want Dad to rule Earth, but if it's not going to be me, then it could be somebody else. So... Uh, the other question I had, I, I read the, uh, you know, Red Robin uh, Reborn, as uh, Dustin just got ready to uh, say, uh, for a reason. Uh, I remember when the solicitations for this came out, I thought, oh, now we're going to finally see why Tim Drake has been acting all crazy. And I was flipping through every page going, okay, where is it? Where is it? And this is one of those, don't judge a book by its cover. Uh Red Robin Reborn or whatever's going on with Tim Drake has absolutely zero to do with this issue. So I know people get upset with covers. I like it when a cover, you look at it and go, oh, I I think I can guess by the cover what's going to happen. This was a clear case of like, hey, I got this fancy cover and uh, we're not going to do anything with it. So I didn't know what your thoughts were going into this issue did you think we were going to finally see maybe why tim is wearing this uh, shiny red hood i you know here's the thing the the well, i will say that the cover itself when when people see the cover outside of actually the day that it comes out when the solicitation was released the words red robin reborn isn't shown on there right. so that you know I, i'll i'll give them that but the fact that they do put that on there so that when people, when they walk into the store, will pick up the issue saying, oh yeah, I'd like to see what's happening with Red Robin, and then they get an entire story about the history of Raven, which has nothing to do with Red Robin. Um, it's it's kind of like a bait-and-switch, in my opinion. The fact that uh, they're let, they lead us to believe that we're finding out this specific information about Red Hood, and then it doesn't actually happen, that kind of ticks me off. Um, do I think that, um, did I think we were going to find out? No, because honestly, I really haven't been paying that much attention to the solicitations or the covers in general of what's going to happen before I actually read the issues. Um, but at the same time, you know, seeing the cover for the first time before I read the issue and then seeing, oh, Red Robin Reborn, I was like, okay, this could be interesting. Maybe they're going to finally delve into why Red why Red Robin is acting the way he's acting, because it's kind of out of the ordinary. But uh, they they didn't, and it really didn't make a whole lot of sense, because I was thinking, this has nothing to do with Red Robin. I kept thinking, did I skip something? Did I miss a page? And that was never, ever the case. Um, the, the other kind of interesting thing about uh, this specific issue is when they did solicit the actual issue... Um, the specific solicitation says absolutely nothing at all about what's referenced on the cover. It's basically that cover is there to, to sell the book. So, I mean, literally the solicitation says, Light and Dark continues as the fall of the last issue's attack threatens to drag the team into darkness. 
which I would say that's you know that's pretty accurate. But at the same time, the cover makes absolutely <laughs> no sense. Hasn't this kind of become like the way they the comics are done now, though? Really? I mean, yeah. the yeah. the covers sometimes have a passing resemblance to what happens to be going on in the book, but a lot of times it's only because there's a Batman cover on a Batman. So well, Batman's in the book, but. I mean, the covers are, are no longer really descriptive of, of anything that's going on inside the book. I'm not saying that, like, you know, when we had Death of the Family, I needed a cover with the Joker standing there with an empty notebook on. It's empty, you know. But there has to be something. I mean, it's... Anymore, I'm starting to look at the covers like they have nothing to do with the issue. Like, it's just a piece of artwork on Teen Titans this month. And in Souls... Because, once again, this issue has completely ignored the fact that Tim's acting cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Right? <laughs> Right. I mean, it's a total ignored. So I know that everyone keeps saying that he's infected by something from somewhere else. But at this point, until I see some evidence in the book, I'm going to proceed that the new 52 Tim Drake is just a jerk. And that's how I'm looking at it going forward until I see some evidence. Yeah, uh, that's about all I had. I, I was the same way uh, with the covers anymore. I don't even pay attention to the solicitations and to me, solicitations sometimes end up ruining half the stuff anyway. I'd rather just go to the store, pick up the book, and see it for the first time and not be spoiled by anything on CNN or anything like that. But you don't go buy the newest James Bond movie with the cover that says, you know, 007, and you put it in, and it's a sound of music. You go, what? I thought the front of this cover said James Bond, and it's a sound of music. I, If you're going to put a cover on it, you know, at least have it something to do that's enticing the reader to pick it up. Or at the very least, don't be intentionally deceitful. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, like, put a blase image of the Teen Titans standing there looking at each other, whatever. I mean, and it could be cool looking, but this one's almost intentionally deceitful, like, hey, see what's going on with Tim Drake? And then the other book is like, never mind. Yeah, I mean... So, yeah, I mean, you can do something cool and arty with the front cover. Just don't make it intentionally deceitful, would be my opinion. All right, so Teen Titans number 20, I'm going to give a total of two out of five bad ranks. Teen Titans number 20. Uh, I, I struggle where to rank this because I, I actually enjoyed the art, <laughs> though we've been complaining about the cover, but I just the story was a mess. Uh, I'm going to give it two out of five bad ranks as well. I'm going to give it two out of five, but it was uh, nice. To, actually, two and a half out of five. I I did like that we got to see Raven in her pre-New 52 outfit, that that was the cloak or ceremonial robe. So I, I like it that they kind of fit in some continuity in clothing, and we saw that in the Red Hood and Outlaws issue where you kind of see the speedy costume. So I like that they're trying to do that. So I'll give it two and a half out of five just for just for that little nugget that they put in there for the fans. All right, so Teen Titans number 20 gets a total of two out of five batarangs. Let's move into our next book, Batwing number 20. It's not who I am underneath, but what I do that defines me. Written by Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray. Art by, art by Eduardo Pensisca and Julio Ferreira. The issue starts off with Batwing... Uh, a new Batwing in a new Batwing costume, Batwing version 2.0, taking out a bunch of terrorists that are dressed as if they are giant ants. Um, Batman is overhead watching the entire thing take place and walking through this new Batwing through this entire situation. Uh, We then see a giant queen ant 
uh, approach Batwing, and uh, Batman says, that's the one you have to take out, and then capture to interrogate her. As Batwing uh, uses a number of different ways to capture, he does, and he takes off. We then see Batman and Alfred trading thoughts about whether or not uh, Luke Fox is the correct person for the job, and Alfred says, yes, uh, you... you uh, you decided to go against Luke Fox in the past. Why did you decide to do this again? Or why did you decide to go with him this time? It's not as if he didn't try to get do everything possible to get your attention. Then they show a flashback of a bunch of thugs trying to stick up a uh, charity event that Bruce Wayne is attending where Luke Fox in a ski mask and just black garb is taking out these thugs and specifically tries to get the attention of Bruce Wayne. Uh, he then explains, Bruce Wayne explains to Alfred that that uh, Luke Fox was actually born to wear the, the bat. Um, we then see Luke, who has drugged this uh, Queen Ant character uh, with some sort of uh, truth serum, hallucinogenic, pharmaceutical grade hallucinogenic, um, she explains to him that no matter what he does, it's it's too big for one boy to take take over. Uh, one month ago, at the at the Luke, at the Fox household, Luke Fox is talking with his parents about what he is going to do now that he has graduated a year early with two degrees. His father says, "You cannot take a year off to travel the world. You instead have to decide what you're going to do as far as a job. You've gotten numerous job offers." Um, then what ends up happening is uh, Luke Fox explains, you know, I'm my own man. I'm going to take a year off and the job offers will still be there when I get back. The whole reason he did this was so that he could have some sort of cover story for him not being around so he could be, become part of Batman Incorporated. We then see, uh, we then cut back to the present time where Luke Fox is in a new Batmobile Bat tank vehicle driving through the uh the African, I guess, safari or desert. And uh, alongside him is a number of mechanical bats flying all around him. Um, we then cut back to just briefly uh, a f- another scene of before he became Batwing, where Batman says to Luke Fox, I want you in Africa. Luke Fox says, why? Because I'm the black guy. And Batman has an unusual smile on his face where he says, funny. Uh, we then cut back to present day where we see Luke Fox approach or Batwing approaching in this bat tank a mine that is being taken that is being over, that is being held by the terrorist uh, ring that attacked him earlier that was trying to bring weapons into the country and he blows a hole through the wall after he uses his bat tank to actually climb some of the wall. He releases a uh, gas that takes out all of the people when the owner of the mansion inside the middle of the mine releases some man-eating lions. He tranks the lions because he refuses to kill animals when all of a sudden the owner and the head terrorist, who is half lion, half man, uh, approaches and tells his three wives to attack Batwing. After Batwing takes out the three wives, um, the lion attacks throwing Batwing into a uh, into the mine, into a pit. Batwing can't really overcome because he's kind of worn out from the fight with the three wives. 
he can't really take it, and it appears that it could be the end of Luke Fox already. Uh, to be continued in Batwing number 21, Lion's Mane's Fangs of Doom. Alright, Batwing number 20. This was kind of interesting because it really jumped right into the action. We saw the last issue. Uh, we saw basically the introduction of who the new Batwing would be, but they really just delved right into the action with this new Batwing and just having these small little flashbacks. So do you think that worked well? Do you think that diving straight into the action and not really delving into the uh, the way Batman approached Luke Fox works for this story, or do you think that they could have done it differently? I don't have an issue with the execution of the idea here, um, but I've never liked the concept. I mean, it works sometimes, but I, I think I'd have preferred, I guess an origin issue may be the uh, wrong way to put it, because we don't really need an origin for Luke Fox, but I think I would have preferred if we got a little bit more of... Uh, I know we get it kind of, you know, interspersed throughout the book in little pockets. Um, but I like to see a little more of, you know, Bruce recruiting Luke and things like that. I'm sure that we'll get it stretched over the next six or seven issues and flashbacks. But I'd like to have seen more of um, an origin story for Luke. Yeah, I, I was the same way. We're getting a, a new Batwing, a new look and everything. And I, I was wanting a little bit more history behind the the character and who that and who Luke is as a person, rather than we're we're riding the tank, we're riding, we're going to battle type of thing. It just it, the, the character kind of felt a little cheated in my book. Yeah, I would say that I wasn't super thrilled with them diving range the the, the uh, action because it was a month since the last time I read this this series. I almost thought to myself for a moment, did I miss an issue? Because literally the last issue ended with. Here's going to be the new Batwing, Luke Fox. And then this issue, we have, it starts off with this new Batwing already in his suit, already battling people in Africa. And I was like, wait a second, did I miss something here? So, I mean, that was a little little disconcerting as far as being able to just jump right into it. Do I think it works with the disbursement of the little flashbacks and the explanations of how certain things came to be? Yeah, that works, but it happened so abruptly where we basically you know, within one month we were introduced to this character, the next month he's already in the costume. It just seems a little too quick, um, at least for my, my, my liking. The, the other uh, aspect that I wanted to talk about was, um, what do you think about this character still going back to Africa? Um, you know, I made a point to mention the, the remark that was made in the book about Batman saying, I want you in Africa, and Luke, you know, cracking a joke about, well, why? Because I'm I'm the black guy. And, like, to me, I'm just wondering your thoughts, because I really didn't think that they were going to be going back to Africa. I really was under the assumption that they were going to do something different, and he was going to be intertwined with his family more, which is in Gotham City. So your thoughts on the continuation of Batwing in Africa? I thought that the whole point of getting rid of the character of David and going to Luke was that we were going to have Batwing a bigger part of the Batman's current universe and in Gotham City. I don't see the point in making these kind of dramatic changes, going through all the trouble of finding a character from Gotham and then sending him back to Africa. Um, I don't get it. I, I, I thought that this issue did that. I, 
to be honest with you, I thought to drive their sales higher, they were going to start putting him back in Gotham City and making him part of, of the monthly continuity of the Bat Universe. So this whole decision to send him back to Africa to fight Simba, the Lion King, or whatever was going on here, um, I didn't really... I thought it was... I thought it was dumb. I can only hope that they're going to go the way of, you're not ready yet, so come back to Gotham and let me train you up a little bit more. Because um, if they leave him in Africa, this this book is going to be plagued with the same problems it was plagued with before. So I don't I don't get it. I, I, had, this, I had the same exact feeling. So I'm like, why, why are we going back there? That was the, I think I'm just rehashing everything that you just said, but, you know, getting him out of Gotham, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I don't remember turning on the nightly news and being familiar with what's going on in Africa. Not that there's not things going on there, and not that you're going to get the nightly news of Gotham City, but at least you can relate to it as a reader on on some level. You know, things sound the same, look the same, but your average reading base of people don't have any any notion of what's going on in Africa. So to take a character that you want us to get invested in and go, okay, finally, we're out of Africa. You know, now I can at least be familiar when, you know, Batgirl is on one side of the street and Batwing could be on the other side of the street. Nope, we're going right back to uh, Africa. Just really kind of, it really bummed me out in the issue. And I kept thinking, uh, I hope it's maybe just to finish some unfinished business that David maybe didn't get done, and Bruce says, okay, that that was your training, now I need you back in Gotham. I I hope that's the case, but I, I just have a bad feeling that it's going to be, nope, we're putting him in Africa. And just the whole comment about, you know, why, because I'm black, I'm like, that that was a little, you know, boo earns in my book, but whatever. All right, so that's all I've got Bang. for Batwing. Batwing number 20, I give a total of Two and a half out of five Batwings. I was expecting more with the changeover. I'm going to give Batwing number 20 a total of two out of five Batarangs. Uh, I'm going to give Batwing one and a half Batarangs just for the whole, you know, back to Africa bit. I just I just didn't like that. One and a half out of five Batarangs. All right, so that's going to give Batwing number 20 a total of two out of five Batarangs. Let's move into our last book, Batwoman number 20. Batwood number 20. This just gets better and better. I get to kill Batman, Robin, and Batgirl all in the same night. My rep is made, boys. Made! Cops are coming, kill him off. Get us out of here. And so it became official. Now, I am Batgirl. And I can already see that I'll never be comfortable with the name. I'd have preferred Batwoman. The blood is thick. Cell. J.H. William and H. Hayden Blackman, writers, and Trevor McCarthy, artist. Uh, this story opens up with uh, Batwoman confronting Agent Chase and Bones in disbelief that the girl on their screen is her sister. Through flashback, we see Agent Chase on a mission to take down a group of the religion of crime. Uh, the operation, however, goes south, and everyone in the team from the DEO is killed except Chase, um, and at this point in the mission, as it ends, she finds a sar- sarcophagus, and once the sarcophagus... Wow, I can't say that word. Um, at the end of the mission, she finds a sarcophagus, and once it is taken back to DEO headquarters and signed it, they find Kate's sister, Beth. Uh, the DEO has a few theories on the mysterious object, but nothing definitive. 
back in the present, Batwoman demands to see her sister, and Bone gives her five minutes. She makes a deal with Bones and the DEO that she will find up and give up the identity of Batman if her and her entire family are cut loose from the DEO control. She arrives home to find Maggie, Jacob, and Jacob's wife all waiting on her. They had planted a bug on her and had been listening in the entire time. At first, she rebuffs their offer of help, but Maggie then gives her an ultimatum. ultimatum. She will either work together as a team or she can take her stuff and get out. She decides that she will work as part of this team. Uh, next up, whatever happened to uh, Killer Croc? All right. Um, I've got two points on this. One is uh, this kind of dysfunctional family is reduced to spying on Kate to know what's going on. Do you think that they can even work together at all with this level of dysfunction? And do you think that this group of individuals has got a shot in finding out Batman's real identity? I think that's there's a couple people that make sense to be included. Uh, Colonel Kane or Jacob Kane, Kate's father, I think should be involved. The pe- whoever the people he's referencing to call in should also be involved in order to do that. Um, Colonel Kane's wife. Yeah, probably not. Sh- should not be involved. Uh, Maggie is also another character that I don't think should have been involved in this at all because she has ties to the police department and to basically give up the identity or you know be a part of giving up the identity to Batman seems outside of what she would normally be doing just being part of the police department and that and that's not to say that you know that you know she shouldn't give up the identity of Batman but her her cause is the police department not some other random organization that, you know, could end up doing some horrible stuff with that information. Um, I also don't think that uh, Betty's has should have any part of it just because she's inexperienced. And, I mean, the whole basis of this is that, oh, they're going to get Alice back. Well, why don't they just try to figure out a better way of getting Alice back instead of, you know, having to, you know, try to figure out Batman's identity, which so many others have already tried to do and have failed. Um, I will say that the idea of this is actually really interesting. I'm really interested to see what this, what happens with the story. And, you know, this issue and the last issue of Batwoman has really revitalized my fondness for the character because it's being pulled back into the Batman universe, even if it's, you know, still without outside of everything else that's going on. It's going to have these these loose ties to... Batman, or in this case, the fact that she's going to be looking for his identity, a much better part of what's going on in the Batman universe. So I think that um, these people specifically, there's certain ones that should be on, should be a part of it, and other ones that don't even have a place in it. Yeah, that that was pretty much my take take from it too. Um, I I do like that they're trying to get it tied. I don't know if it's trying is the right word, but it it seems like there's a movement to try and get it a little bit. Uh, tied into the current, you know, Batman universe continuity a little bit, or maybe there could be some, you know, possible interaction. But uh, at the same time, I I agree with you, Dustin. There, I think there could have been another way to do that rather than use, you know, the Batman identity bit. I don't personally believe that they've got a shot of finding out his actual identity. Uh, for for one very real reason, which is. If they were going to have a big revelation of Batman's secret identity, it would probably come in Batman. You know, uh, probably not in the Batwoman book. But I, I think that this group is interesting to see them work together. Um, 
I do think they've got to work through their trust issues, and I would be really surprised if the next, the book next month or the next two months aren't dealing with them trying to overcome their trust issues to work better together. I mean, the fact that they have to spy on her because she's not going to tell them what's going on is a pretty clear indication that there is some uh, there's some issues uh, be- between them there. Um, another one here is that we see uh, the sister is brought back via the uh, Stargate sarcophagus. Uh, to life. Does anyone here have an idea what's uh, what is going on with that, or is it has this been explained and I've missed it? I have not. I have no knowledge of whatever the heck they're talking about. The problem is that they 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 reference a lot of different things that are outside of what they've said in this series, and I don't know that this is one of them. Like the religion of crime is not something that's been only ever mentioned in specifically Batwoman. It's been it's popped up before. In comics, but like the history of the organization was never really delved into that much in Batwoman the series. Just like the DEO has never really been delved into either, or Cameron Chase. So there's a lot of different things that have that are pre-existing that they've brought in, and I honestly don't know anything about this. The fact that the DEO <laughs> makes the comment about that they didn't know anything about it, they don't know what it is, leads me to believe that it's not anything that's ever been referenced before, just because they would be the only ones that I would think would have any, you know, if it was something that existed before, I would think that they would be the ones to say, oh, well, we know that this was used before in such and such incident, but the fact that they don't leads me to believe that it's never been around. Yeah, I, I, I was the same way. I I almost thought, like, I had missed something because I hadn't been reading the title uh, from the beginning so uh, it's nice to know that I wasn't, you know, by myself in that where I thought, oh, I, I guess I just missed something. So, yeah, I have no idea either. Okay. Um, that makes me feel a lot better because I had the troubling suspicion in the back of my mind when I was reading this that I must have missed something along the way because nobody was explaining it to me in the book and I had no idea where it came from. Um, so I do feel a little bit better. Um, so, yeah, I think a little backstory there and – are you guys going to be shocked when next month, by the way, it's revealed that Bones is actually Black Mask? Because I have problems with that every time I read this book. It kills me. I mean, I know he's Bones, and I read it every month and think he's Black Mask for 20 pages before I realize it again. I, yeah. Yes, let's just, let's just put it out there to our readers that, that that's not actually going to happen. <laughs> but... Um, yes, it is. It is quite confusing because they do look even. They look extremely similar, uh, and Black Mask isn't really appearing that much in any of the other books. He did appear in Catwoman last month, um, as far as just having like that brief appearance when he was locked up in Arkham, um, which reminds me. Ed, this is going to be a little bit off topic, but I forgot to bring this up when we were talking about this before. But last month when we reviewed Catwoman. Um, we talked about the fact that Catwoman seemingly had no idea who Black Mask was other than the rumors that had gone around, leading us to believe that their entire history between the two characters, since Black Mask was a very prominent villain in the Catwoman mm-hmm. series in the past, no, no longer existed. Then in Catwoman, uh, she mentions that thing about Black Mask's uh, treasure or loot or whatever underneath the ground in the subways or whatever the heck she said. And she wants to know if it's real. But she, but in the last issue, she made a point that she didn't even know who Black Mask was. But she knows about some treasure that he might have underneath. And that was just a contradiction between 
not even a month. Well, she looked him up on um, Wikipedia when she got out of Arkham, you know, and well, then found out there was this treasure. And I mean, you can't. That, that's that, that that whole comment still one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. That, that Catwoman didn't know who Black Mask was, and then the fact that they referenced Black Mask the very next month. I mean, couldn't it have been anybody's treasure that was hidden. Anybody? I mean, Professor Renopolis's treasure. Anything. <laughs> Um, I'm still holding out hope, though. By the way, that that in the worst in, in the worst held secret that we are going to be unveiled the bones is really black mask, and we just didn't notice it. So, I but, just would have thought somebody editorially would have said, I, "I hope you're wrong," but said, "You can't have two characters that look exactly the same. Your, people are going to think it's black mask, unless that's what happens." <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, th- this character's been around for a while. Black mask has been around for a while, and I think ultimately what's what what it came to was that black mask has always been the an actual mask on somebody even though it looks almost similar and bones is literally just yeah. a black skull and i think that's i think that's where the the difference between the two of them are and, that, and it and it makes sense it doesn't confuse me it's just just me <laughs> yeah so we can rate it now i'm just i'm just a troubled troubled man when it comes to mask and bones all right, so Batwoman number 20. I actually thought this was pretty good, probably the best of the, the bunch. I'm going to give this three and a half out of five. Batwoman number, Batwoman number 20 for me, I like it a lot. I have to agree with Dustin. This is easily the best book we read this month, and I'm going to give it four out of five Batarangs. I will also give it three and a half out of five Batarangs. All right, so Batwoman number 20 gets a total of three and a half out of five Batarangs. That is all of our books. Let's get straight into listener Q&As. We actually do have a bunch of different listener Q&As to go over. Uh, The first one was a message that was sent to us on Facebook um, from Pavel. And I'm going to try to go over some of this. The, The one thing I've realized is because these episodes are basically monthly... Um, it's some of the stuff that some people bring up has already happened within the current month and, and is happening in the books that we're actually reviewing here. <laughs> reviewing here. So if that happens, we'll talk about it. But um, sometimes your questions are are posted, you know, right away when this episode posts, and then days later a new issue comes out, and then it happens. But bear with us when we try to do this. So the first one is from Pavel on Facebook, and he says. Hey, I've got two questions for the podcast. In Red Hood and the Outlaws, while Jason's teacher says that Jason's soul was returned to his body after being dunked into the pit, something else brought him back to life. Does this mean that the Superboy Prime Punch is still in canon or some variation of it? This would also explain why Bruce can't just throw Damien into a Lazarus pit. So first, let's answer that question. The simple answer is he clearly was in a Lazarus pit because in Red Hood and the Outlaws number 20... Um, they reference the fact that he was with Talia after he died at the hands of the Joker, leading us to believe that Red Hood and the, the Red Hood: The Lost Days, the miniseries from a couple years back, is still in canon and still true. And it was a Lazarus Pit that did bring him back. Now they've never actually stated that it was a Lazarus Pit that brought him back since the New Fifty Two has started, but that is the closest reference that we can get to as how he came back is the fact that he basically was. Uh, he spent some time with Talia. Yeah, yeah I, I think I've always taken this, especially with the uh, Red Hood and the Outlaws number zero issue, that they had taken the Superboy Prime Punch out of continuity, which is 
yeah. quite frankly, a, a, a vast improvement on Jason's resurrection origin. To be honest. Yeah, but then that does open up the can of worms that if there was nothing else that brought uh, Jason back, then why can't Bruce just throw Damien in a Lazarus pit? Because I, <sighs> yeah, which uh, which which I have I have been adamantly saying every single month since Damien died in the when we review Batman. And- well, do you do you guys really think though that it would be easier for Batman to t- put his son in a Lazarus pit as opposed to dissecting Frankenstein or taking Jason all the way to Ethiopia? I mean, I d- that doesn't sound any easier you- to me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Um. Then he states also, even if the pit is not not a way to to go, why why not use the talent formula? I mean, he has a talent coin because he suckered punch he suckered punched out of Dick. He probably has samples of the talent formula and blood samples, and he'll hit and he even experimented on William Cobb. Um, so obviously he's referencing why doesn't he use that on uh, Damien either. Um, we'll probably reference this one again on the normal comic cast as well. Um, I think it's really just, you have to be a little bit ignorant to some of the different things that we've come in contact with over the last couple of years, as far as the reasons of why Bruce is not doing certain things with Damien. Um, but I think we'll just probably discuss this more after we, uh, we review the next issue of Batman and Robin. Um, but nonetheless, I think that it really just comes down to Lazarus is the most obvious choice because it's been around since the 70s. Um, we know that it's brought Jason Todd back. We know that it's brought who, oh wait, Damien's uh, grandfather back a gazillion times. Um, so I mean, like, did Grayson even put Bruce's body into a Lazarus pit when he thought it was actually Bruce, but it wasn't? It was the, the fake Batman that uh, was planted so, I mean, like, during Final Crisis, so, I mean, like, there's, there's, it's the most obvious choice. The talent formula is obviously a little bit newer. They could have done that as well. Um, but I think it all just comes down to they're just being a little bit ignorant to certain aspects just because. I, th- I think, are. if anything, this, this, this question kind of points out the fact that if you want to bring someone back from the dead in the DCU, there's no shortage of ways to do it. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. All right. So then, uh, the next one is we have some comments on the website. Um, the first one it seems to be from the same Pavel, because I don't know very many people named Pavel. And he says, you should do a monthly podcast after every month. I'm not real sure exactly what he meant, because this is, in fact, a monthly podcast. Um, if, he's, if, Pavel, you are referencing the fact that we are releasing this after... All of the books have released. Well, it's for that exact reason. We're releasing them. We're releasing this episode because there's four weeks, or in this month's case, five weeks of comics that we had to accumulate in order to actually produce this specific episode. So you'll have to clarify your comment if you're looking for a monthly podcast. Boy, we have plenty of monthly podcasts all over the website for you to check out. All right. Next up, Alex says, another great episode. I'm in the exact situation you mentioned in regards to Teen Titans. I'm reading it for Tim and picked it up because of Death of the Family. 
hate the way he was portrayed in the Zero issue, and I'm not digging the way he's being written in Teen Titans at all. However, like you guys said, if you step back, it's not a bad title if you're reading it for the Teen Titans, but I'm not interested in it for the other characters. As unsatisfactory as Red Hood and the Outlaws has been in the past, I'm hoping it will continue to get better. Besides Cassandra Cain, Starfire is my favorite female character, but it was because of the way she was written in the new Teen Titans. It's... Or so it's tough seeing the way she's being written. Although I could say that with a lot of characters within the new 52. I picked up Talon because of Bane, because he's my favorite Batman villain, and I'm intrigued. I was really looking forward to your discussion because I'm always happy to hear a discussion about Bane in a positive light. Although, because he's my favorite villain, I'd want to see him in the main Batman title. However, the more I think about it, it might be a good thing. It seems like they keep increasing the powers of the villains, and they just seem like caricatures of themselves. Like with Clayface now being able to extract the memories and forms of the people. Joker turning into a super ninja who can teleport all over the Bat Universe and set up such elaborate schemes in such a short periods of time. And Riddler having like 20 ways to break out of his cell. Mr. Freeze being full-blown psycho, etc. It doesn't come off as mature to me at all. Just silly. Same goes with the heroes. I don't think you... Uh, I don't think going on about your love... Oh, I don't, and I don't think going on about your love for Batman the Animated Series gives you a free pass. What are your thoughts on this? Maybe I'm the odd one. I liked the idea of Tim Drake being a really intelligent detective who in the back of my mind made me think if I worked real hard enough, I could become like him. Now that he's a brat who seems to have super intelligence, there's no appeal. Thanks a lot, guys. All right, so uh, I'll just briefly go over some of his points. Um... I think that Tim, as we've said before, he is written as a brat who has super intelligence and the the detective element has basically been completely worked out of the character within the New 52. It's a shame because that's the, that's the element that always made that character the Robin for me is the fact that he deduced who Batman and, and Dick Grayson were because of his detective skills and he and you know and there was even points where bruce himself said that tim could possibly be a better detective than bruce himself and that was the element that was always like really really interesting to me is the fact that he yes he was smart he was he was he's smart uh but his detective skills was really the thing that made that character um they have written him like crap um and really they're I mean like they're not really doing the character any justice because if you know the zero issue really made the character look like a brat you know oh I want to be Robin let me be Robin if you don't let me be Robin I'm going to do stupid stuff to force your hand into letting me become Robin which is exactly what he did and then in turn uh, we go right into Death of the Family where he's not really focused on that much at all to then we go outside of Death of the Family and he's you know, under some kind of control over something or not something, or he's just resorted back to being a complete jackass like he was before. So uh, I, I think the biggest thing, Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say that I, I agree with what Dustin said. I was going to actually talk about a different part of his email when we're talking about the, the escalation of superpowers for, uh, so so let's talk, okay. let's talk Robin. Then we'll go okay. to the superpower. Um, I, I agree. I mean, Tim Drake is a, He's a jerk. And I, I think the biggest problem, a, a huge Tim Drake fan, my favorite Robin, 
Um, but I, I think Scott Lobdell's biggest problem, A, I think he needs to be off the book, and we bring somebody in to fix this, but you've got a team, we said it before with Red Hood and the Outlaws, if we start bringing, you know, six new people in, you have Superboy, Flash, uh, Kid Flash, you know, Bunker, Red Robin, uh, none of those characters are really given any any motivation, any story of who they are. The whole first Teen Titans run was just to set up the whole Ravengers book, and that book is getting canceled. So there's been... So the only things that... Okay, Kid Flash is really fast. we got to write him as a fast person. Tim is really smart. We'll make him super smart, but we'll turn him into being kind of a jerk, too. And Superboy's a machine. There's no... There's no history with any of these characters. It's just like, okay, what can I write today? Okay, Tim's smart. He's a jerk. Um... I, I'm still praying that somewhere down the line, Tim Drake will get his own Red Robin series back, and then somebody can just spend time working on Tim Drake as a character rather than just six little facets of six characters that really have no soul in them at all. And it makes me go to my comic book stores and buy... I just bought eight, eight back issues of Robin and was reading those this weekend going... This is Tim Drake. This is how he should be portrayed. And I really want to like Tim in Teen Titans, but like he said, I'm only really reading this for Tim. And as soon as he gets his book, or as soon as Scott Lobdell gets his hands off of him, I'll feel much better. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it really just comes down to the fact that, I, and I've said this before, the Teen Titans book is is poorly done because basically the first run of the series was let's have Red Robin you know, either save or recruit these different members to become part of this team. There was very little back history for any of the characters, including Red Robin. You know, as a new reader coming into Teen Titans, I don't know how I would know anything about these characters or really get emotionally invested in these characters based off of what's been produced in this actual series. So, I mean, like, it just comes down to then we went into the, the whole Ravagers thing, which set that up, and then that series went off, so they decided to, you know, tie in some different things here and there, which then Ravagers gets canceled, so now they're going back to, reverting back to more Ravagers stuff with now Raven and Trigon, and uh, even Beast Boy popped up, so I mean, like, it's just, they're not spending enough time, like, focusing on these characters, and I and I can't remember if I said this on the last point uh, five cast or one of the other comic casts, but Teen Titans is one of those books where you can tell really short stories in the front, use the back of the book to do like a short back, uh, like a back backup in the book to focus on these individual characters. Uh, you know they've done. You know there was a time where when Red Hood and the Outlaws first released way back in the very beginning. There was like the main story, and then at the end, there was like this side story that was eventually led to the events of the main story. But there was like this side story at the end that was not necessarily presented as a backup, but it yeah. was a backup. And they did the same thing with the Zero issue with the whole like the backup was Joker saying that he planned all of this crap for Roy Hart or for Jason Todd. And like that's what they did. What they need to do is they need to take that formula, which I assume was Scott Lebdell's thought because he was doing Red Hood and the Outlaws at the time, and they need to apply that to Teen Titans so that they can use, you know, five pages 
at the end of the issue to say, here, let's focus on Bunker, who nobody knows really anything about other than he's from Mexico, he's gay, and he can make walls pop up. You know, he can make psychic walls pop up. I mean, like, that's that's the extent. They made a big deal about when the character came on the book because he was gay, and they made a big deal about it because, you know, oh, they were introducing another gay character into comic books. But, like, outside of that, they really haven't done anything with the character. So how do I even give two craps about the character? Or Solstice. I don't care about her either. You know, it's just they're not making us in really involved in these characters. And then you've got Superboy, who has his own book, and there's been plenty of times where Superboy is tied into the Teen Titans because Lobdell was writing Superboy for a while, and there's ways that you know that's that's tied together. So you don't really have to have the explanation of Superboy, but then you move into like uh, you move into you move into yeah you move into Cassie, and you we know nothing about her. You know Tim Drake, you know he's been focused on here and there just by default because he's probably the biggest character amongst them outside of Superboy, who doesn't have his own book, so he gets the majority of the focus when it comes to, like, crossover events and uh, the Zero issue and things like that. He's had a lot more focus. But, like, realistically, all of these other characters in the book, nobody knows anything about, and they're not doing anything to really make you learn and become more excited about these characters because they just keep throwing them into all of these different things. You know, it was Death of the Family. Now it's this entire Trigon thing. It's it's always something with them. And they just need to, like, you know, stand back and say, hey, maybe the first six issues, first six issues that we did, you know, was about us recruiting it. But maybe the next six issues should have been about us about learning about these characters and developing these newer characters that we just brought in. But, yeah. Uh, oh, if, if it's... Isn't Sorry, this, if, it, if it was... <laughs> go ahead, Ed, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, isn't this the, the real problem, though, really, is the fact that you should have a Red Robin book? I mean, yes. he, he's too big of a character to pigeonhole him to his whatever he gets, page count, and the Teen Titans. Plus, you're telling stories that aren't a natural fit for Red Robin. Red Robin's stories wasn't him running around New York dealing with monsters and and demon lords, and, I mean, if you think about it, if you put Tim Drake in that setting, of course he's not going to work, because that's not the type of character he is. He should be in the more type of detective, I don't want to call it true crime, but, you know, more detective, real-life type situations. If you put a character who's grounded in some sort of reality into these kind of farcical Ravengers, Trigon stuff, he's going to come across as he is, which is, he doesn't, he's not a fit for the book, so you rewrite him, so he's even more not a fit for the book, but that's just my thought. If, if there wasn't the S and the lightning bolt and the W and the bird on these characters, you would not know who they are because they're not being represented. And I agree with everything you just said, Ed, that, you know, Wonder Girl's got all this, you know, metal-type armor stuff inside of her, and she can fight Trigon and Superboy is like an android, so he's really strong, and Bunker can throw purple bricks What's Red Robin going to do? Pull out his bow staff and throw some flash grenades? He's going to get flicked to the corner. It's he's He may be the leader, but he's the leader that says, hey, guys, go there, go there. I'm going to sit back here at my computer because I, I can't do anything against wizards and sorcerers and demons. So, uh, yeah, anyway. All right, so then the other point that Alex made was about the, the over-accentuating the powers of the villains and even some of the characters themselves. And I think that 
well, my comments on that is it, they have done this a lot. Um, and it's really, I think it's because it's the new 52 and DC wants these writers to really like feel invigorated with doing, doing something new and exciting with these characters that they're giving them too much leeway as to what they can do. I mean, quite honestly, um, you know, there was a lot of people who went on and on about Scott Snyder's, uh, most recent, uh, Batman issues where it was just the two, two issue story arc dealing with Clayface. I really wasn't super thrilled with it just for the sheer fact that Clayface was completely outside of anything that we've ever done. And Snyder explained that by, oh, well, he's mutated and he has little to none of his own DNA. But how does he get memories from somebody? How does he know information that the people had in their minds? He's not absorbing their minds. The whole idea of Clayface was that he touches them, he can become like them based off of their outward appearance because he sees them, he can become it. That has There's like completely different science behind something you see or something that you feel and something that you think. It's like completely different. So uh, there was that aspect. Uh, the whole Joker situation with him being, like I understand, Alex, you said Super Ninja who can teleport all over the Bat Universe. Well... The, if fans, you're trying to figure out what exactly he's referencing. In fact, he's referencing the fact that Death of the Family supposedly only took place over a week's time period. Yet somehow the Joker was involved with every single one of these heroes in every single series in, every, in, in a different location in, in each book. So how was he able to do that in every single series? So, I mean, they... they and, and that's not necessarily one writer's... Uh, that's not one writer's... Uh, problem for doing that that's the editor for just saying hey yeah let's uh let's do this crossover and you know it all comes down to the money they they do these crossovers to make the money and the joker obviously is going to sell books um so why not have the joker pop up in all of these other supporting books to the main bat title the th the problem is that when you look at it from a giant story element or when you collect them all into a trade paperback how does it realistically I, work uh, really to does. me it, it does um, I hear people kind of complain about this. If this takes place in a week, the Joker could have been with Batman on a Tuesday and gone after Red Robin and Red Hood on a Wednesday, gone after Batgirl on a Thursday, etc., etc. Go one day each week, gone after all of them, done whatever he wants to, and gets to Sunday and he's got them all in the cave. He's got them all tied up. But because the but okay, but but how do you explain if so? If he takes out one of them on Monday. Why does the person who doesn't get taken out till Wednesday, Thursday, Friday not react to the person who got taken out the first day? You know, that's where, where it's breaking up. And I don't know that it was a week. Yeah. I can't remember exactly what Snyder stated, but he did state that it took place over a very short amount of time. No more than a week. I want to say it was even less than that. But the thing is, there's just too many problems. Like, and I understand your, 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 your theory. It does make sense in that way. But then everyone else has to be completely ignorant to anything right. else that's happening, you know, with what's going on. Like, everyone's on high alert because the Joker's, you know, because Bruce says, hey, everybody, the Joker's back. We got to be on high alert. You know, he's a threat that we have to deal with. And then they all just slowly start getting taken out one by one and nobody reacts to it. They all just you know, deal with it, that's where that's where it becomes an issue. Not so much about the fact that it couldn't actually take place over the time frame. It's that, well, if the whole point of death of the family was to sever the ties of the family so that nobody wants to work with anybody, which is what they said they wanted to do, okay, fine, 
But the fact that nobody cared about anybody else being taken out by the Joker up until after the, the fact, it well, it wasn't the family, I guess the family wasn't that great to begin with. But doesn't this go back to the old horror movie routine in a, in a, in a way to, like, don't split up, you know? Yeah. Like, when you, when you know the bad guy's there, when you know the Joker's in town and he's trying to pick you off one at a time, don't split up. Just yeah. stay don't together. Go upstairs. Yeah, you know, I mean, just what the, go to the cave, make dinner, sit around for a couple of days, and figure it out. Um, I think the problem you have with escalation of superpowers here, and this may sound as like I'm being overly negative, but I'm certainly not trying to be, is it essentially comes down to a lazy way to write stuff. Yes. Instead of saying, okay, and, and I don't mean this towards Scott Snyder because he's a brilliant writer, but you're talking about the Clayface one that just happened. And I, and I did enjoy those Clayface stories. But what you have is instead of coming up with a story, let's just make Clayface bigger, badder. Same with anyone, Poison Ivy, Batman, you know, whatever the villain is. Instead of coming up with an intricate, interesting story, a lot of writers roll out the idea of, okay, she's back and she's better, she's stronger, Bane can now throw buildings. I mean, it's just lazy writing, right? I mean, isn't that the real problem? Instead of coming up with yeah. a unique character piece, you're just pumping this same story we've seen before full of steroids. I thought, I thought Scott did a really good job with the Clayface uh, two-story arc. He just took it one step too far. I think it's great that he can get inside you know, Bruce and get his DNA and fingerprints, but now he can remember, oh, Bruce had apples and oranges for breakfast. I can now taste that in my mouth. It's like, no, you can't. You don't know that, you know, if Bruce didn't have the Batman shirt underneath him, unless Bruce is in his mind going, I'm Batman, I'm Batman, I'm Batman. Right at the time that Clayface changes him, he would have no idea that he's Batman and wouldn't know that, you know, his favorite color is purple or whatever it is. Uh, I think all that was executed pretty well, except for that one point that now Clayface can absorb memories. And like you said, Bane can throw buildings. You know, don't go to the super extreme because I can't find any way to write this character. I, I don't know what to do with the penguin that he just collects birds, so now he can fly. You know, the, be a little, but, be a little the, more that, intelligent than that. That would be the logical conclusion of what you're talking about. Yeah. That, that we're going to have uh, penguins going to take uh, man penguin serum and fly off. And it would be utterly ridiculous, of course. You know, I just, again, it just comes back to, to crappy writing. Tell a story where the, the, the I mean, for, for 70 years, you know, these villains have sufficed as they are. Just learn to tell a better story. Don't put them on steroids. All right. So the next comment is from Alban888, and he says, and he's referencing uh, the last episode when we reviewed Batwoman. He says, okay, maybe you forgot about this, but Batwoman's being blackmailed by the DEO. She didn't really choose to be with them, and she doesn't hate Batman. She just hates being controlled. If she had her choice, it would probably be neither Batman Inc. or the DEO. You both read this very differently than I did. She clearly likes Batman enough to get inspired to be a hero by him, but I think that she thinks the Bat symbol is bigger than one Batman. Also, Chase's backstory is from old continuity. I don't see how it fits in the crunch timeline, but it is what it is. So I, I kind of said I kind of mentioned some of this um, earlier when we talked about the when we reviewed Batwoman, but I know that Chase's backstory is from old continuity. It's just it's it's con disconcerting that DC, who's so adamant about being you know appealing to the new readers, 
doesn't address her history whatsoever or doesn't address the DEO and just allows it to get thrown in there and with very little information about the organization or Chase in general, that is kind of odd to me. It's almost as if, again, this was all pre-planned before the New 52 and it just, as we already know, Batwoman got pushed back from being released before the New 52 to the New 52 specifically to launch with all the other books and to me, it just comes across as poor editorial, I guess, because the thing is, they want everything to be, you know, super new reader friendly. And honestly, I can't sit here and say that I, you know, I knew what the DEO was and who Cameron Chase was because of their of their involvements with Batman in the past. But I don't know a ton about Cameron Chase. I haven't read the actual series that she had that J.H. Williams worked on back then. So I mean, like, because of that. It would be ideal for them to, you know, reference that. The problem is they don't want to reference anything that's pre-New 52 because that would be unheard of. And they don't want people to have to go back and read stuff that didn't come out within the last years. But when five years goes by, how are they going to keep saying, hey, go back and read, uh, you know, Red Hood and the Outlaws number one to find out why this happened? They're not going to do that. So it's just, it defeats the whole purpose of that. The other aspect is uh, you state that, that she's being blackmailed by the DEO. Yes, that's true because of the information that they have on her father, and that's why she's working with him. And But the fact that you say that she doesn't hate Batman, she just hates being controlled, Batman's never controlled her, but yet we see her complete disdain for Batman in the last couple issues where they run in with each other. Um, so I think that there's a lot more to it, or at least leading us to believe that she just doesn't... She maybe just... Maybe not hates, but maybe she just doesn't have any good feelings towards Batman at all, so she'd have no problem going after his secret identity. Uh, the other aspect of that is that um, you also state that you know she the, that she thinks that the bat symbol is bigger than one Batman. Yes, that's fine, but then why wouldn't she want to be part of Batman Incorporated? Yeah, I mean, I you know this is something that we definitely t- touched on last time, uh, but I, I kind of agree with with everything you're saying. It's just that. I view it. I view it as as you know something I already said. I think last episode or whatever. But you know I don't understand why she hates Batman so much. I just don't understand it. Um, and I understand that she's being you know blackmailed or, or kind of forced into this by the DEO. But she made it a choice originally when she wasn't being blackmailed way way back in issue one or two of Batwoman when she turned down the offer to join Batman Inc. At that point she could have joined Batman Inc. and she chose not to and work for the D.O. And I remember Batman even told her, hey, you know, you don't want to work for these guys, yada, yada, yada. So I don't feel sorry for her. She's, she's picked this path, and this is the one she's going down. That being said, I'm really enjoying the book, but she's put herself in this slump. Yeah, the same thing. As, as much as her, I like the word disdain that you used uh, for Batman, then why are you Batwoman? If, if you don't want anything to do with Batman, you don't want to you don't like him, you don't want to be part of Batman Inc., then why aren't you Bird Woman or Cricket Woman or or something else? So you obviously took up the mantle of Batman for a reason, but yet you don't like him. And that being said, I still enjoy the book as well, but um, I had another point and I lost it, so I'll move on. All right, so then the last listener Q&A that we have comes from Mary, 
And she says, after listening to the podcast, I went back and looked at the previous issues of Talon. It appears to me that Calvin Rose is a character that does not have very much self-motivation. The reason he came back to Gotham was to take the opportunity of the Court of Owls being in disarray after the run-in with Batman to destroy records of himself and Casey. Sebastian used the threat of Casey and her daughter's safety caused by Calvin's resurfacing to get him to do his bidding. Now Sebastian needs Casey to control him. When we first see Casey, it is evident that she wanted to fight the Court of Owls from the beginning, and it was Calvin who wanted to run. She has spent the time she was hiding, building an organization that helps people escape the clutches of criminal organizations, many of them low-level criminals that Batman would be locking up instead of trying to help. In the past, they had a system of drop boxes for her to leave false identities for him, so I think it's plausible that they have a system to contact each other if they become separated. If one of them doesn't make contact in a given time frame, it means that they are in trouble. I don't see her riding off into the sunset because it was her dream to help the people in these organizations, and she would want to save Calvin. Also, Sebastian and the court are still after her. What I hope is that Casey will be forced to go to Batman. It's completely plausible to me that she could hack his comm system in order to rescue Calvin. It looked to me that Bane killed Calvin by snapping his neck. He would then be back as a resurrected Talon, which could make some f- make make for some interesting storylines. Also, I can see her having conflict with Batman on several different levels. All right, so that's that comment. So obviously, some of this stuff that Mary mentioned already has happened. Uh, Calvin has been resurrected um, as a new Talon. Um, Cal- Bane did kill Calvin, as as we saw in the last issue. Um, and Casey didn't ride it off into the sunset as we see that she's captured and is actually being held captive by the Court of Owls. The The problem for me is that, there's there's well, there's a couple things. One, the fact that Casey, she has that organization that she runs is great, and I think it was a, it was a worthy cause. The problem is that once that, once her organization or the place that she was got taken over or found out, she left, and she did not do anything with it. Those members that were part of her group disbanded. She has had no contact with them, at least in the pages of Talon. Um, and actually, we know from Detective Comics that one of the people that was working underneath Casey ended up stealing something from Talia al Ghul and delivering it to Emperor Penguin. So she clearly... Her organization didn't work in a way that she hoped... Or at least, because it's disbanded now, it's not doing any good. Um, the other thing to th- that, that uh, t- to mention is now that Casey is actually being held captive, I think that kind of underappreciates the character of Casey because the fact that she's just now the, you know, the the female in distress that someone has to save kind of depreciates the value of the character because. As you mentioned, the character does have a lot of really interesting points that they could have used that they're not using uh, now that she's just basically being this pawn that uh, the Court of Owls is using to have Calvin do their bidding. So I think that uh, there's plenty more things that they could do with Casey and this organization that she did create, even if it is disbanded. But they need to get away from the Court of Owls. And the problem is I don't see that anytime in the future because I think that they're, the whole point of everything they're doing is specifically so that they can continue on Scott Snyder's legacy of the Court of Owls. And it's disheartening because I can't take any more owls. 
you know, I mean, <laughs> there's just there's just too many damn owls. I mean, it's like think about the books we read this month. You got Birds of Prey's got owls in it. Towns got out. I mean, it's it's. I mean, Birds of Prey has a talent turned good good person. Talon is about a Talon turned good per- I mean, they're just, they're using, they're beating this thing to death. And the fact that we see in Talon this month that there seems to be, like, another full-fledged Court of Owls, like, meeting in a room, and just seems like that the story's never going to end. I, I agree with Dustin 100%, but I think we're going to have Owls until that the, we revolt and refuse to buy anything that has an Owl on it. Yeah. I agree with everything that's said, and it makes me, I've got, you know, all the issues of, you know, the first run with Snyder and bought the first trade paperback. I thought, oh, I'll keep all my issues bagged and bored, and I'll read the trade paperback. And I went to go pick it up, and I'm just like, I don't even want to read it. I don't want to read about another owl, you know, and I haven't bought any of the subsequent trade paperbacks because I don't want to read about another owl. Even though that was a great story, Talon is making me care less about the first arc of the new 52 of Batman by each continuing issue. Cause it makes me want to go less and less to read about another owl. So yeah, if you put Joker in every single book, reading an issue with the Joker is no longer a big deal. That's cat. That's Catwoman's problem. Exactly. That she's in every issue in her book. Yeah. She's, I, I, I don't see her as, I know this is completely off tangent, but I don't see her worthy of her own book. She is kind of like Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell is a great side character, but you put Will Ferrell in his own movie where he's his own star, and it's kind of like, that's ah, funny, or ah, Catwoman's interesting, but I don't think she's that interesting to have her own book monthly, and nobody can write her. I don't know. Ed Brudebaker did a really well, good yeah. job. Yeah. Okay. I, I, yeah. I think the thing is, I think that they just haven't had Bingo. a writer to write yeah. Judd Winnick was Judd Winnick oh. was not a good choice. And Nocenti was brought in, and and I hate to say this because I know there's going to be some people who are going to be, you know, crucify Dustin, but, you know, the fact that Anno Senti is a female and DC was getting so hit so hard about having female writers or female creators in general and not having a lot of them, I think they started to bring in some more female creators and just trying to assign them positions or jobs instead of actually letting them choose the characters that they want to do, because I don't feel that from the writing that Innocenti has any passion for this character I, at all. And I don't think that in general, I think that there are plenty of really good Catwoman stories that you could tell, and she could deserve her own series. But the way she's been written since issue number one does not warrant her own series. because yeah, the Another problem, like too, is, is, I'm sorry, i, I got to get this one off my chest. How did Anna Sinti get this book? Did you read? Did you guys, anyone here read what she wrote on Green, when she was on Green Arrow? Oh, was, oh. No, I, I mean, I, it, yeah, I, yeah. who reads that and goes, this, this, she should write Catwoman? You know, I mean. Yeah, I, a, bit, a big Green Arrow fan, I was just like clumbering through. I dropped it, and then I'm, I'm blanking on his name, who's on uh, Green Arrow now. Who, who, whoever's writing it now, that should have been who's writing Green Arrow. Uh, Jeff, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeff yeah. Moore. So that's that's fantastic. That's like that's where this series should have started. So I, I agree. I don't know where somebody went. You know, she's knocking it out of the park on Green Arrow. Let's give her Catwoman. So I want to rectify what I said that Catwoman doesn't deserve her own book. I, she does as a, as a character. She doesn't deserve it in the New Fifty Two because there just hasn't been a writer. And the same thing could be said about Scott Lobdell. I mean, you know. I, I was wondering what Scott looked like, and I looked him up. I was like, good Lord, 
he's as old as my dad or older. He has no idea what it's like to be a teen or write, you know, teen stuff. There should be, I know, somebody that can kind of relate to those characters, and that's not the guy. That was another tangent. Sorry. Uh, he just wants those kids to stay off his lawn. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, but here's the, here's the, the thing, and this will be my parting shot on this, but when Catwoman went from Catwoman the book to that great Gotham City Sirens, you guys remember that title? Yeah. Um, I thought when we were getting the new 52 back, I was really glad that we were going to get a Catwoman book back because I thought Gotham City Sirens was kind of a train wreck. And it went from, like, one train wreck to a worse train wreck, you know? Um, yeah, and so maybe, maybe look at Sirens and go, oh, it's that not that bad. wasn't that bad. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. All right, so that is all of our listener Q&As. Make sure that if you have a listener Q&A or you have a question or answer that you'd like us to talk about on the next episode, be sure to head over to the website and leave your comments in the comments section below the actual episode post on the website, or you can send us an email at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net, and we will be sure to go over those on the next episode. In addition to that, make sure you head over to the website to check out all the latest news related to comics, movie, TV, merchandise, video game, and any other news pertaining to the Batman universe. You can also check out all of our other podcasts, including the relaunch of uh, the Batman universe Villain Wall, which has returned with a brand new episode available as you are listening to this. It is available on uh, iTunes and obviously the website as well. Uh, there's also new episodes of Taking Flight, Back to Oracle, um, the other comic cat, the normal comic cast, obviously not the point five because that's what we are, and as well as the normal podcast as well. All new episodes should all be there while you're listening to this. So be listening, be checking out the website for all the latest of those. In addition to that, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, and also check out our Facebook group to discuss all kinds of Batman related. Uh, news and opinions with not only the staff but also other Bat fans from all over the world over at our Facebook group. Just search the Batman Universe for that. In addition to that, you can also follow. Uh, you can also leave reviews on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. And as I mentioned, email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. That is everything for this episode. Austin. This so, is this, Ed and this is Rob. You've been listening to the Batman Universe. Point five comic podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Later. So that is going to. Oh man, my dog is going to piss me off. And the dog gives it two out of five. Out of... <laughs> well, if it makes you feel any better, my cat has entered the room, and I'm sure she's going to meow. So. Yeah, but see, the difference is that if your cat meows, I can edit that out. I can't edit my dog uh, <laughs> uh, talk or barking as I'm trying to talk. Gotcha. And that's the problem.